Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and dare I say it, our favourite podcasts to record and they seem to be the most popular are Grand Tour Previews. This is the Vuelta España 2020 preview. I cannot believe it is already here the day after, less than 12 hours after we recorded the Tour of Flanders recap, we're recording the Vuelta España preview. But I'm not complaining. I mean, there's a lot of racing on and you guys and girls keep consuming this content at an alarming rate. So here it is, an 18-stage Vuelta because they couldn't do, I think, three of the stages in Portugal. Are you... I mean, you, you follow all these pro Conti guys, Benji. I feel like the Vuelta is kind of your special where a lot of the <laughs> riders who we don't see throughout the year and uh, maybe aren't able to win a Tour de France stage, the Vuelta is where you can sometimes have some unusual results. So is the Vuelta your favourite Grand Tour or is it Giro? I don't think it's the Tour. For me, it's the Giro because I feel like the parkour of the Giro, I like it more. And because of that, I think that I'm more into that but the Vuelta never disappoints when it comes to entertainment level because you've got the guys from the Tour de France that are potentially dealing with some tiredness but are also now curving up their form again towards the Vuelta and you've got the people like Vlasov who's at the start here who quite early fell out of the Giro d'Italia due to that uh, puking issue in I think stage three or four or something or two actually so you've got a bit of a situation where teams that were probably not even going to form this way towards the Vuelta have a team here that somewhat last minute was made. And you can see that with plenty of the teams. And we'll go over them in a second, like Jumbo Visma is here with most of their Tour de France teams. So it's quite curious because you've also got a, a high level difference between the teams. You've got Jumbo Visma, who looks to be here with a, a wonderful team. And then there's Agisela Mondial, who's basically here with an opportunity for a stage win. And then you've got the likes of that's Sunweb. Every, that's who every race, Yeah, that's also true. But <laughs> 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 then you've got Sunweb, who's here with, well, very young riders. <laughs> I, I'd like to know the average yeah. age of that 22. team. Because I think it's like 22, 22? or 23 that's, years old. That's mad. I'm that's guessing. Mad. Yeah, it could be younger. I, I, this Tour of Spain, it's it's so hard to preview this. Um, the Tour de France finished exactly one month ago when they kick off stage one, I think tomorrow, and it, I just don't know. And it's impossible for us to know with any certainty the form of the Tour de France guys going into this Vuelta España. But let's get into those, those favourites because arguably, well, not arguably, I think it's clear, there are bigger names here riding for GC than in the Giro d'Italia. So here, here are some of the, the GC guys, just to give you an overview. Roglic, heavy favourite, $2.40 favourite. Second favourite, same team for Jumbo Visma, 
Tom Dumoulin is the second favourite. So Yumbo are the prohibitive favourites to win this Vuelta Espana. Third favourite, Richard Carapaz. Okay, he got taken out of Giro. He went to the Tour. He looked really strong there. Probably should have won a stage. He's the leader to Ineos at this Tour of Spain. Thibaut Pino didn't pull out of the Tour de France but pulled himself out of GC contention and had that unfortunate crash in Nice. He's here, fourth favourite. Enric Mas, consistent and a very good performance. I think, what, fourth, fifth overall behind Mikel Lander in the Tour de France GC. He's here, fifth favourite. Chris Froome, per the bookmakers, is sixth favourite. But we'll talk about that in, in a second. Vlasov, as well, as Benji mentioned, had those health issues in the Giro d'Italia and pulled out. He's already lining up as seventh favourite, the leader of Astana for this Vuelta Espana. Alejandro Valverde, question marks over him as well. I believe he it was an interview the other day where he was saying he just didn't really train that much this year. He's not feeling so good, and we've seen that on the road. He's definitely not at the level we'd expect him to be at. I think eighth favourite is another Yumbo Visma rider, Sepp Kuss. And then ninth is Ivan Sosa for Ineos. Tenth, and I want to really talk about this, tenth favourite is Criterium de Dauphiné GC winner. Stage winner in the Tour de France, Danny Martinez. You've also got here David Godot supporting Thibaut Pino, Marc Soler for Movistar. I think Movistar actually have a very well-rounded, strong squad. I will say that. Uran is here as well. I think Rigoberto Uran. Um, oh, no, he's not. He's not on the start list, so I don't know why he's in the betting markets. No, I didn't think he was starting. Uh, Guillaume Martin, who did well for a period in the Tour de France, is one of the more outside shot favourites, while Paul Sabarain, Esteban Chavez for Mitchelton Scott and George Bennett there for Yumbo Visma. Uh, UAE don't really have a GC favourite at all. I like their team, UAE, but they brought a, uh, a stage hunting team from my look at it. But out of those GC favourites, Benji, do you think it's correct that Yumbo Visma are the, the prohibitive favourites for this year's welter? I'd certainly say so. They were quite dominant in the Tour de France, and I think they've got a team to repeat that here. Jonas Vingegaard, Paul Martens, those are domestiques, they're in Hofstede as well, but all the rest are climbers. Roglic, Bennett, Dumoulin, Sepkas, Hesink. Hesink most likely going to be the most domestique of those five riders, and the difference with the Tour de France is that this vault only has 33 kilometers of time trial, so this race can be won by climbers that don't have a time trial capability and therefore the likes of a Sepkas might end up on top in the end which is quite entertaining to me because there's this difference between Grand Tours these days the Giro like a, a big difference of a big margin of the difference that Kellerman now has in the Giro is made up by time trial time as well and you won't really see that in this Vuelta and because of that, I think that it's going to be a, a very interesting race that is mainly enforced by the climbing capabilities. And if I have to look at it then, I see more of an opportunity for youngsters like Avlazov, youngsters like Akas to come out on top in the end, compared to Roglic, who is usually the person that tries to count on a stamp trial, but we know that doesn't always work out for him. But yeah, I feel like... Jumbo still has to be seen as the dominant force, and I think they're going to use a similar controlling tactic as the Tour de France, hopefully a bit more in a clever way, because we were always bashing their tactics every single stage, because we saw 
details and sometimes even larger than just details that they should have done better. And I think they're going to try and apply that on this Volta and hopefully for them it's better and better for their actual ending result. I think Jumbo Visma have so many opportunities to dominate this race in a different way to the Tour de France instead of using Martin, Wadmanart, Hesink, etc. like they did in the Tour de France and Coos to set a very, very high pace. I think they should try and break the race up and use Dumoulin, Coos and Roglic as aggressors. You have Roglic who will not get dropped by the other teams in simply you know, stages, mountaintop finishes like we saw Bianca Valo, uh, Etna in the Giro, we've got similar stages here. He won't get dropped in the wheel and going to the finish of those stages, he's usually good to take out the bonus seconds or win those stages if there's no break up the road. Conversely, you've got one of the best pure climbers in the world, Sepp Kuss. I think they should use him aggressively uh, this, in this World Tour Espana and really put the other teams under a lot more pressure to make different decisions rather than just, okay, let's just follow the Yumbo Visma train and hold on because there's no guarantee that Carapaz will have worse legs or a bit of worse level than Roglic in this year's Volta Espana. I think Carapaz is a much savvier racer than Roglic and who knows how Roglic is feeling after Tour de France, world champs, Liège. So, like, there's no guarantee. I still think, obviously, he should be the favourite. 100% correct that he is. But who knows if maybe the this condensed schedule, he eventually gets tired in the second and third week um, because of the sheer amount of racing he's done. That's why Pagacha's called it, and he's not racing the Vuelta Espana because he's tired. Bernal, a similar sort of thing. Do you agree, Benji, that there's a few stages, and I'll talk about it for those stages, that Jumbo Visma, instead of setting up a train, they should use Kuss, Dumoulin, and, and Roglic um, as sort of aggressors. And I, I don't think anyone would be able to follow Kuss and then the next day follow Dumoulin if they do use them in that way. I think that you've got a right point on that. I also think that there's just plain stages where a train is going to be really handy. So <laughs> there's plenty of these stages that are like one steep hill at the end, but there's also plenty that have mountains all over. And there's so much you can try here. The question is how much are they willing to risk in this Velta to try and try something more unordinary for Jumbo? And that is, I think, where the question lies because Jumbo plays very controlled, at least in the first twenty stage, first 19 stages of the Tour de France they did. And they try to control every detail of the race. And because of that, they don't risk as much. And because they didn't risk as much, the difference to Pogacar in the Tour de France was not high enough to try and sustain it in that time trial. So are they going to risk more here? That is the real question. And I hope they do because they've got the manpower to do it while other teams sometimes have one leader, sometimes don't have leaders, sometimes have potentially two leaders at the start here. So let's go to the third favourites team, the biggest team in the world and the most successful Grand Tour team in the last 10 years. They've won five stages in the Giro, Ineos Grenadiers. They have Chris Froome, Andre Amador, Richard Carapaz, Michel Golas, Dylan Van Bauer, Brandon Rivera, Ivan Sosa, Cameron Wirth. So Golas, Wirth and are the flat engines, Amador, and Dylan Van Baal are rolly terrain, sort of base of climb domestiques. 
and Brandon Rivera at Sosa, I think uh, – well, Sosa definitely. I'm not I'm not too familiar with Brandon Rivera. I know he's Egan Bernal's best friend, but I'm pretty sure he's a, uh, a pure climber given that he's 169 centimetres tall and a young Colombian. And obviously they've got Chris Froome there as well. I think their leader is obviously Carapaz and – I'm not. I'm not here to. I'm not here to bash Chris Froome. I don't get any joy out of that. But I have to also say it how it is. He got dropped by Tim DeClerc, 80 k's into the age, based on the age on a small roller. That was like two weeks ago. Um, I know. I know he's never been crash hot in one day races, but he got dropped by Dylan Van Baal. I think when they're training like a week and a half ago as well. I just there's just no way he's going to be competitive on GC. And I think he's going to lose time on the first stage to Roglic and the other boys. So Carapaz is their man. The, the welter profile, I think, suits Carapaz a lot of these stages. Um, or do you think there's some sort of uh, redemption arc here for Froome and he's he's been hiding a little bit, Benji? It'd be both. I honestly don't want to shove Froome out of the way because we've seen magical stuff from him before. But it's not looking too bright. We can be honest in that. From the year that we've seen so far, where he has been coming back, the comeback has not been so amazing. That LBL, I'm not really using that LBL. I feel like the whole span of 2020 post-corona time just shows that Froome's not in order. And I hope that he's somewhat in order because I kind of feel bad for him. (laughs) He's had a horrible crash and I hope that he can at least get somewhat of a good result, even if it's just a stage win just so that he knows that he's still in the game and it will always be more fun next year if Froome is somewhat in the game, even if it's with only one foot, even if it's with just a portion of being able to do something at least. Because right now, I don't feel like he has the ability of doing something. So I hope that he can come back in some way. I don't think he's going to be the leader of Ineos. And... Carapaz, he looked great at the end of the Tour de France. I think he's going to look great here, but my eyes are on Sosa. And <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like Sosa is going to be the revelation of this Vuelta España. Last year, Sosa was going to the Vuelta. That was not planned. I think one of the riders of Ineos had an injury just before the Giro. I'm not sure if it was Bernal or Carapaz. I think it was, well, Carapaz wasn't Movistar, so it can't be Carapaz. But I think Bernal was supposed to do the Giro first last year and then got thrown out with an injury and then did only the Tour de France in the end. But the thing is, Sosa was not great at that Giro just because of that. And I think he even DNF'd after a crash somewhere, but I'm totally unsure about that. But this year so far, he's been pretty good. Settimana Internazionale Coppia Bartoli wasn't amazing, but in Burgos, he won that Laguna Zanella stage. I think he's either going to win a stage or he's going to be surprising in GC. I hope that he's surprising in GC mainly because the man was a legend when he was in the younger years. He was like Bernal when he was in his younger years. He won the Vuelta Burgos already before he rode his last Tour de Lavenir. So that's crazy to think about, to be honest. <laughs> well, and he can do one thing. Ivan Sosa can do one thing, and that is climb up steep stuff pretty fast. Uh, he can do literally nothing else. And 
any crosswind, even a punchy finish, he's going to get exposed. But this is the Vuelta Espana, not the Tour de France. So if you can climb up steep stuff fast, you're probably going to do okay on a lot of the stages. So, yeah, I agree with that. But as I see too many other flaws in his in his game. Um, and I think, but that being said, I think Froome can do a job. I don't think he's going to be competitive on GC, but I think he can do a job. And I think Ineos, like we saw on the Tour and in the Giro, yeah, they got men down. They're not having their best year. They can still get results and they can still for, like use a plan. We saw on the Tour de France, they were still riding to a plan in stage 13, 14 before Bernal's uh, issues in stage 15. So do I think if Carapaz is behind on GC that and Roglic is not looking good, they can use Sosa Rivera and Amador and Froome to launch something on one of these stages for a long-range attempt from Carapaz? 100%. I think they can do that and they're strong enough to do that. And just don't ever forget how strong Ineos are as a team, um, even if there's a lot of question marks over some of these guys and it's maybe not there pure you know 2015 Tour de France squad which is just unreal still one of the strongest teams at the race um and I'm not an Ineos fan by any means but yeah Carapaz I think Jumbo Visma should be very very concerned about but what about Astana Benji I know we we're trying to set up an interview with Alexander Vlasov um for the Vuelta Espana be good to speak to him we've been hyping him up for a long time well I, I have as well since February for uh, Tour de la Provence, but it's impossible to know how he is with the coming after the sickness at on Etna. That was like two weeks ago, or the stage four. Have you seen anything, Benji? Any statements about him being back to full strength or something? Or I, don't, I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, I mean, either. I just think that they had him having some bowel issues during the start of the Giro. That was what they explained it to be. And since he was puking, that's probably going to be okay. So I believe that he's going to be relatively back in form. And I expect Vlasov to be up there. This race is about climbing, and we know he can climb. And let's hope it comes out, because you often have these revelations that move to a Grand Tour, and then nothing actually happens. So I sincerely hope that with Vlasov, that's not the case. He's got a really good team surrounding him. We've got... Yeah. Luis Leon Sanchez, once again, same as in the Tour de France for that team. Both is a gear race here again. Grushdev, meh, he's going to be the average helper. He's probably going to be more of the uh, flat guy on the team since I think he's also riding the Cobble Classics. So Tour of Flanders today, that was yesterday. That was uh, actually not surprising. I didn't know you could do both, but I guess a fair you can. few riders are doing both. Van Baal, oh, okay. etc. Yeah, that's true. Alexander Buru. Uh, the legend himself, uh, <laughs> uh, he's going to try and win more hilly sprints or leftover sprints. If you've got a hilly terrain and there's a smaller group, he's going to win a stage, I'm calling it. Alex Aramburu, honestly, one of my top 10 favorite riders now, and I don't know why. I feel like it's grown over the years, and it's been since he was at Cajarural that my eyes were somewhat on him, and I like his rider tribe because he doesn't have a blatant success formula he needs to be surviving climbs that he's not amazing at and try and survive them to be able to be good on the sprint after it and that's why i love that because it it shows that he needs to have determination to get over those hills with the better climbers and 
and trying to finish it off in the end. But I'm looking forward to it, and I hope he can do well. Omar Freile, great domestique, but also great for stage races, stage wins. And the issue is going to be that Vlasov is in his team, so he's going to have less of a chance to have to go for it. So I think that is going to be lacking on that end, unless Vlasov has a, a bowel issue again and gets out of the Vuelta, he's most likely going to be stuck chained in the domestique rule. So that's what I've got for Astana. Do you have anything to add there? No, a very strong team, experienced team. Vlasov's the type of guy where I wouldn't be comfortable betting on him at short odds to come in the top 10 or top 5, but he's someone that is capable of actually winning this welter of things. Like he is capable, a lot of things would have to go his way, and certainly capable of getting on the podium as well if he is in fine form and he's that was just a blip on the radar and one bad day in the Giro d'Italia. So he's a man to watch out for, particularly on some of these big mountain stages. He won Baby Giro in the past, and I really hope he, he's back in good form. Movistar have got some of the other favourites for this race. Enric Mas is fifth favourite. And it's an all-Spanish team, except for Nelson Oliveira, the Portuguese rider. I think Movistar have got a very strong team, Benji. Experienced, good on the flats, rolling terrain. They've got Imanol Irvitim, uh, Carlos Verona, Nelson Oliveira, Jose Joaquin Rojas, and obviously, Marc Soler, Valverde, and Enric Mas. Name a better trio for team chemistry and working in unison on GC as Mas, Valverde, and Marc Soler. Oh, it's hard to name one, but then again, <laughs> the issue is that their main goal is not GC. Their main goal is team classification. So they're most likely going to succeed in that. I feel like we're both already agreeing that that's a really large possibility, even with the likes of a jumbo here, that Movi starts up in the team classification because it's the only thing they always win. And if I have to look at it in a fair assessment now, I think Miles was great at the Tour de France in the third week. He grew in the race, and if he can have that same form as in the Tour de France, then he's going to end relatively high in this Grand Tour. It's also more focused on the climbing, so I believe that that's only going to benefit him. He's not a bad time trialist, but still on paper, I believe that he's more of a climbing expert than a time trial expert, obviously. For Verde, I don't know. I think he can try and take a stage, but it's going to be hard. As you said, he's had issues with training, but it's Valverde. He comes to the Vuelta, and if Valverde is at the Vuelta, he has to try and win a stage. It's just, ah, uh, I hope that he wins a stage, because I feel like a Valverde of three, four years ago, given this 18-stage parkour, oh, yeah. and... <laughs> He wins multiple stages. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure. He like that. Up. Yeah, and yeah. for the rest of the team, I think that they're mostly helpers. Rojas has become from the guy that... Did he win green that year against Gilbert in the Tour de France? Or am I drunk? Oh, I, I think, think the, green, the green jersey in the Tour de France. Yeah. The points jersey. Yeah, I think he got very close to that at a certain point. No. Never. <laughs> I don't know. Really? Jose Joaquin Rojas. 2011, right? Second in the points classification, just after Mark Cavendish. <laughs> By 50 points. I don't points. know how you know that. That's kind of concerning that you know that. 
Um, well, he was fighting versus just, Chilbert, a Belgian, so I had to follow it. <laughs> that just shouldn't be really in your occupying space in your brain. But yeah, Movistar, I think, have a real chance of doing something interesting if Soler and Massa are on good form. Soler, I know he's a bit of a meme, but he's still a very strong rider. And yeah, they can they can attack and do things differently as well. Um, moving on to a team, we have to mention them because they've got the fifth favourite, I think, Groupama FDJ. They're bringing him out again, Thibaut Pino. Do you think they're here to ride for the GC ambitions of Pino Benji, or do you think he's deliberately going to lose a lot of time and then maybe go for like a breakaway stage win on the Tourmalet, um, which is in about a week, I think. Uh, I don't I don't think they will do that because, yeah, they just won't. And also he is the fifth favourite for GC. But um, I don't know about Pino. It's it's a fairly strong team. They've got Godot here, Anthony Roux, uh, all French team. But, yeah, I don't know. If, if he was going to win it, a Grand Tour or do better this year out of the Welter and the Tour de France, it probably would be this Welter. Um, I've got a hot again, take. Okay, well, hit me with your hot take. Hot take. Pino is going to finish this Welter in top five. Is that, I is believe that... Is that a hot take? <laughs> he usually has <laughs> got a day that he totally collapses, so I feel yeah, like it's a hot enough. take these days. <laughs> He's got a team that can support him all over. Um, I believe that it's not the best team. It's a team with domestiques. Godou's going to be his main guy. Let's hope Godou's better than in the Tour de France, but I think he had quite an injury in the first few days, and because of that, wasn't able to help Pino at all during that Grand Tour. I think that we're going to see a resurrection of Group Amahe, and I believe that Pino has got a solid chance of even a podium here. I really think that Pino has a chance, and it's, again, mainly because it's all about the climbing here. There's a 30-kilometer time trial that blatantly looks like the Planche de time trial, so Roglic is already concerned. But I think that... Pino has that advantage that time trial is not really the most important asset here. And it's all about the climbing with that Tourmalet stage. I think I think Pino is going to win on the Tourmalet. And I kind of hope he does for the resurrection. And we'll go into the stage later on. But yeah, Pino is going to be high up there for me personally. And I think that Godou is going to look better than we expect from him. Godou is a rider that has grown over the years. I think last year in the Dauphiné, he ended up winning a stage and he ended up winning, being one of the better climbers at the race. And I think that that's not going to be too different here, but I don't think he's going to be up there with the likes of, well, the top five elite guys, but he's going to be an amazing super domestique. And even if Pino fails, I think that Godou could genuinely top 10 this thing. But then again, a top 10 is not as worth it for a team like this. I don't know. I, I don't. I totally don't agree that they should, on purpose, lose time. That's just my point here. I think they should go for GC. It would be a shame if they don't. They've got you know at the start here a rider that can genuinely top three a Grand Tour like this. So yeah, if they they should go for GC for sure, and they should go for Pino. I think they should go for GC, but I don't understand the fascination. Well, I do understand it, but. Just let David Godou go up the road in a breakaway if it makes sense um, and it means that he could win a stage. I think we're seeing time and time again that it's 
doesn't make sense to sacrifice stage win opportunities for like a 1% benefit or whatever, a negligible benefit of helping out someone on fifth on GC. So just free David Goto, send him up the road, please. Former Tour de Lavenir winner. I want to, before we get to maybe a couple of the outsiders for GC who we think might come, you know, 8th or 12th or something who you might not have heard of, I want to ask you this, Benji. Why is Danny Martinez like 50 to 1 to win this Vuelta Espanol? Why is he behind Sepp Kuss? and even Sosa in the betting odds. I, I Am I missing something? He came set seven seconds behind Aguita in Tour Colombia. He won Criterium de Dauphiné GC and won a stage in the Tour de France, both of which he did both times. He did very, very good numbers at a high level there. It's He probably doesn't help him because he's actually a decent time trial. It's not having much time trial, but I think he's going to do well on the time trial that we do have. Why? Is Danny Martinez not being considered as maybe like a two-star favorite for GC? Because I have him right behind Carapaz and Dumoulin and Roglic. I think I think he's my fourth favorite for GC right now. I think that the main issue surrounding this is that it feels like the betting markets, the bookmakers, are more mainstream cycling fans to us <laughs> because. <laughs> I, I see a lot of these things in in the betting market sometimes that riders that for us seem to have a chance don't have that because they had a different role in different Grand Tour. And I think that's the issue with Martinez, I think, because he was a breakaway rider in the Tour de France. The bookmakers go on to that and see him as that rider that could go for GC but is most likely not going to. He crashed at the start of the Tour de France, so you can't look into that like that. and. For me, he's a GC rider for sure. He won the Dauphiné. It's not like you can win a Dauphiné just every Sunday. I can't. But then again, I'm not a pro cyclist. But I think that Martinez could do really well here, and I would dare to put a podium bet on him. But that is not financial advice. Let me put that out there. He's also got a team that is just good. And let's go over them in a second here. Is We've it got good? Hugh Carthy. I feel like it's good. Hugh Carthy. We've got... well. The issue is that EF Pro Cycling is a team that never releases their proper start lists until like a few hours before the race because it feels like a hobby. It's a big secret. And the one I have is not even confirmed yet. So let that be clear. I'm not sure these riders are actually going to show up at the start of the race, but let's hope they do. Otherwise, this uh, section of the podcast is a bit meh. Hugh Coffey, he's going to be great help. But then again, I feel like he can win stages if he goes in the breakaway. So he got to find the ideal in between and it's going to depend on whether martinez can sustain a gc if he gets a chance for that mitchell docker most likely domestique i don't really see him outside of that dj van Garderen, he's going to be decent for that time trial i was hoping he would do well on the planche de belfi one in the tour de france but his tour de france was awful let's be honest there he was awful in the tour de france he didn't have any proper breakaway stage he didn't have any time trial capabilities I don't know what went wrong, and let's hope DJ finds a form and can actually use it, because that was awful. Then we've got Michael Woods. He's going to be good, and I think he's going to stay up there in GC for quite a bit with all these hill stages. I don't think he's going to be able to sustain until the end, majorly, because we've got Tireno as a history. He was good at the hill stages there. He was good at the mediocre mountain stages, but... 
once it came to the real mountain stage, he lost time, and he's going to do the same on this unless he twisted his own beliefs and started becoming a mountain goat instead of a, a steep hill goat. Then minus Scott Nilsson, I think he's going to be a sprinter here. He had a Grand Tour where he won multiple stages in the past. Was it the Vuelta? I think it was. I don't know what year. Yeah, he's won, the, he's won two Vuelta stages in 2016. He's won a Tour de France stage. Um, he's won Paris stage last year. He was okay in Terreno. He was pretty good before lockdown. But, um, yeah, he, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he, if he won a stage here, um, given that he's already won Vuelta stages in the past. Um, even he won the last stage ahead of uh, Daniele Benatti back in 2016, the stage into Madrid. But um, I think the thing to remember is when I look at someone who can win GC who is being undervalued, is Danny Martinez talented enough to win GC, even if Jumbo Visman and Roglic are on pretty good form? And the answer for me is yes. He is, he's shown he's more talented and in better form right now than Thibaut Pino. He, look at looking at what he did in Criterium de Dauphiné Stage 5, and I think when he was racing it head-to-head against Kamner and Bora in the Tour de France after he recovered a bit from that crash, you've seen what sort of level rider he is. So it would not surprise me if Danny Martinez had a really good Vuelta. But hopefully EF don't make us look stupid by bringing out a completely different start list uh, tomorrow. But let's move on to a few outsiders for a top 10 from young guys you might not be familiar with. Timon Aronsman. Dutch rider for Team Sunweb, 20 years old. This is his first year in World Tour level. I think he started in, uh, came up from Seg at the start of July, second in Tour de l'Avenir in 2018 behind Tadej Pogacar. That means he's probably going to win the Tour de France in like a year. Um, <laughs> so would it surprise me if Timon Aronsman came in the top 10? A little bit, but he, he could, depending on how this world to play is out. Another man who I think could come in top 10 or 12th is Matteo Barilati for Israel Startup Nation. He, um, yeah, he finished in the Tour Colombia 12th on GC, I think like three minutes behind Bernal. He can climb. He looked good in Cebu Tour, looked, came fourth in Tour to Hungary uh, GC. I think he could do uh, an okay job too. Uh, have you got any other like major GC real dark horses for like a top 10, Benji? Extremely good question. I also had Ardensman written down. I'm curious what Robert Powers is going to be doing because I think yeah, we've true. spoken about him yesterday evening after we saw Jai Hindley's performance that he is the Australian cyclist that I expected more from in general as a climber and it hasn't fully come out yet. I think he did well at I think Bologna 2019 could be very wrong in that, to be honest. I'm just naming a race where I think I saw him when he was still riding at Mitchelton. And I think he, that... He came sixth we, in Strade in 2018. Okay, so, well, the issue is there that it's 2018. And I expected more by now. And it hasn't happened yet. So I'm hoping that we can find a way to see him in some capable way up there, Michael Storer, same story. He was also one of the talents. And obviously, I have to name the Belgian in that team, Ilan van Welder. He is going to do stuff. I feel it. He's Belgian, <laughs> so he has to. Uh, joking aside, he's a good time trialist these days, but he's also a decent climber. I think he came close in Avenir. He got third in Avenir last year. 
So yeah. Von Wilder is most likely going to be decent in GC. But the issue with that team is that they're all not capable of coming in top five or anything. So if you're Sunweb, wouldn't you just change the strategy to something like you did in the Tour de France, where you try and go for stage wins instead? But my counterpoint to that is, is that I think their team right now at the start of this Vuelta is so different from the Tour de France team in the sense that these are young climbers and Sutilin. <laughs> That's basically how I see the team. And Max Kanter for the sprints. Very curious what Max Kanter is going to do in the sprints, by the way. But comparing that to the Tour de France team, you've got, first of all, Hirschi. Obviously, he's the rider with most talent in that whole squad, in my honest opinion, together with, well, now, Jai Hindley, because it's pretty clear that He's become an extremely good climber over the last year. And you've got Sudan Kralison with the flat skills. You've got Atish Benod. You've got Kasper Pedersen. Those are all riders that I believe have more stage-winning capabilities than these riders because these riders might grow more towards GC riders in the future and therefore might not be able to get a stage win like this and might just not be good enough yet to win from breakaways in mountain stages. So... I think that the team is going to have a bit of difficulty finding its way in this race, but I hope they can find somewhat of a way to make an impression, and I hope the youngsters totally do that, because I'm all for youngsters in Grand Tours, and we've seen that they've grown quite a lot recently, so I'm curious. And one of the last names I want to name as well as a... Not really a dark horse, but a rider that was decent as well at the Avenir race last year is Mikel Ries, guy from Trek Segafredo. I think he got seven at Avenir last year. That obviously doesn't mean that he's a favorite for GC for sure, but I believe that he can show himself in this Grand Tour, and I'm going to leave it at that, I think. Outside of them, I think most of the teams we've named the most important riders. Do you think Guillaume Martin can do something here? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, this has harder climbs than the Tour de France. Um, I, I don't see it for him. Maybe top 10 for sure. But yeah, I think Walt Poles and Mikel Nieve booked them in for 8th and 9th or 9th and 10th already. But moving on to some of the sprinters teams, uh, the Koenig Quickstep, we haven't mentioned them yet because obviously they're all in uh, for stage wins here. They've not brought any GC guy. Sam Bennett, Shane Archibald, Michael Morku, Shidnik Stiba, Mattia Cataneo, Yannick Steinler, Ian Garrison, and Andrea Fagioli. So we have the strongest sprint train in the race, I think by far. I think that's stronger than Bora Hansgrohe's sprint train. And obviously they're going for stage wins with Bennett. I think Bagioli will be going for stage wins, obviously, in the uphill finishes, like we saw in Tour de Lens, stage one. Stiebar maybe in some of the rollier stages, etc. So they're going, for, and then their main competitors for the sprint. The next best sprinter in the race is Onbora Hansgrohe, obviously, who are also set up 100% for stage wins. Pascal Ackerman, Martin Lass, Felix Groschartner, Jay McCarthy, Ida Schelling, Andreas Schillinger, Michael Schwarzman, and Rudiger Selig. So they're going for obviously sprint stages with Ackerman but also some of the uphill stages like we saw in, I think, Volta Burgos, 
where Felix Groschart in a stolen march on all the other riders. He can get a good lead out from Jay McCarthy in stages like that. So, yeah, stage wins for Ackerman and Groschardner and McCarthy. Who are the other sprinters here, Benji, that I might have missed? Obviously, Adam Baru, um could be contesting some of the sprints. Is there any other sprinter on maybe the Pro Conti teams that, we, that we're missing that could actually be be competitive here? Oh, sorry, I should say UAE before I let you answer on the Pro Conti guys. UAE are set up also pretty much for stage wins unless Formolo can pull something out of the bag. They've got Jasper Phillips in here, Belgian sprinter who's looked very, very good. He's supported by uh, Dela Cruz, Rubashenko, Ivo Oliveira, Sergio Anau, Alessandro Covey, but I think it's going to be Philipson having to sit on the back of the Bora and um, Jaconi Quickstep trains, which I think he's very comfortable doing. And obviously the uphill finishes is perfect for Formolo Costa and maybe Alessandro Covey. But, uh, yeah, any other sprinters we should be aware of, Benji, that uh, could steal a, a big stage, one of the flat stages here? I think I've got three more names that could potentially do a good sprint, and I think one of them is certainly going to do so, and that is Jona Barasturi. He is a rider that got top fives and top tens all over the Vuelta last year, and I think he is going to get closer now because I feel like the field in the sprinting is a bit less full. I think he's going to be having a possibility of winning a stage because he's also somewhat good at hills. So if he can get over some of the smaller hills and try and sprint after that, he's got a real opportunity. Moschetti is at Trek Sigafredo. I think we've spoken about him before as being in the team where Peterson was sprinting at the end of one of the stages. Here they're going for Moschetti. And I think that this is good. I like Moschetti. I hope he can really push out something here. I've been a relative, not really a fan, but I've been following his career a bit and he's been having a plethora of bad luck with plenty of crashes that weren't really his fault. For example, in a sprint when someone deviated and he was thrown into a barrier or he was thrown onto the floor in the Giro at some point doing that. So it sucks. And I want him to come out. He was great at Trofeo Palma at the start of the year beating Ackermann in a head-on sprint. And he's shown form at the start of the year, but since the post-corona restart, not really. So I hope he can find form and actually do something for the team here. In their team also, Alexander Kamp. He was a sprinter in Conti and pro-Conti level, but I don't feel like he has come out yet with anything like that in World Tour level. But my last name I'd like to point out is a rider that I was really surprised he's at the start of the Vuelta because... He's known for being the worst climber in the absolute world. <laughs> I know world. who you're going to say. Jakub I know who Mareshko. you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe that Mareshko is at the wrong race? Do, oh. do you think that they signed him up accidentally? <laughs> because this is a surprise. <laughs> He's got, I think, 43 professional wins. 18 at Tour of Tahu Lake, 7 <laughs> at Tour of Hainan, 3 at King Ai Lake, and 3 at Langkawi. The man, if there is like a, a 1% false flat uphill, he can't <laughs> And he's a small guy too. He's like 68 kilos and like under 170 centimetres. But yeah, like uh, maybe there's two stay Madrid, if he makes it to Madrid, maybe. <laughs> he's never going to make it to Madrid. <laughs> So Man, sorry, go, everybody. Go and look him up. <laughs> go and look him up on uh, PCS because the Vuelta suits riders like Magnus Court 
these sort of rolly sprinters a lot better or even um god who's the guy that sprints in the saddle at sunweb uh he's the lead out man nickius aunt he won a stage last year i think stage eight it suits those guys more um and a name that the opposite sort of sprinter to marichko i think this man's going to win not one but two stages another australian on the rise 22 years old robert stannard andre bagioli Mari van Sevenant, uh, Clement Champoussin, who's on Ejezoir Le Mondial, who could have a good World Tour Espana. You know who beat them in Baby Lombardia in 2018? Robert Stannard beat Bagioli, Champoussin, Van Sevenant back then. He came, I think, all second in Giro della Toscana this year behind uh, Ethan Hayter. Or no, Fernando Gavidia, sorry. He beat Ethan Hayter. So he, he beat Hayter, Girmay, Bessiger. Uh, Luca Passioni, Jürgen Rolands, he beat them and only lost to uh, Fernando Gavidia. And I think in Giro dell'Apennino, maybe that was where he lost to, uh, yeah, that's where he lost to Ethan Hayter and he was behind Alessandro Covey. So I think Hayter's really talented and I think, I mean, it's a shame that Ineos didn't bring him, to be honest, but Robert Stannard is going to win a stage in this year's Vuelta Espana. Um, do you think I'm just being too biased there, Benji? Or is it actually, I think he's got the talent. The results kind of prove it. I agree. And it's because I was looking at Kovi mostly as a rider that could do something and was really good at Bing Bang Tour and so forth. At certain points, was good at Brabant Sapel and good at Apanino. And because of that, I looked at Apanino and saw that Standard was fun and was like, oh my God, Standard could do something, but you beat me to it. So your Australian nose sniffed him out first. So <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm proud of you, Lantern. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no, I wanna, I'm not finished. I'm not finished with Mitchell and Scott. Dion Smith, New Zealander, okay? He's not Australian, but still. Kiwi, sixth in Milano San Remo. He won Coppa Sabatini, Gran Premio Cita di Picco Piccioli. I nearly got it out, okay? He is a climby guy, climby sprinter. Yeah, ninth in Milano Torino behind the big boys, the quick sprinters. But it's not just about being quick in this year's in the Vuelta. It never is. So, yeah, look out for Dion Smith. I think he is going to win, win a stage as well. Other stage hunters. Let's go into more now the stage hunters, Benji. Matai Mohoric. And I'll let, I've been talking too much about my picks. Mohoric, the Slovenian, for Byron McLaren. Some of these descent finishes look very nice for him. He looks so good in Liège. I think he's winning a stage as well. But this is where you really shine, Benji, with your outsider uh, breakaway or stage winning picks I think one of the riders that last year surprised a lot surprised a lot of people was Angel Madrazo in the breakaway in the Svelta and I think he got second in the end the mountains classification only beaten by Geoffrey Bouchard the guy I picked out as my KOM for the Giro and hasn't done anything yet so that's amazing but Angel Madrazo I think he's going to be in the breakaway all day again he yeah I feel like he's one of those riders and he obviously doesn't have a GC plan. He's in a pro Conti team, Burgos. They're going to want to be in a breakaway. And in mountain stages, that is most likely going to be Angel Madrazo or Yetsa Bull in that team. So those are the two riders in that team that I would put up there as riders that will go in breakaway and will try and take stages. We said it before, but Hans Groa, Felix Groschartner, that is one of the names that I would 100% put on the list of riders that can win a stage here. And he can even win it from the elite group. If the elite group yep. is finishing on a bit of a 
a smaller hill that is not per se Roglic territory or GC territory, but just in between, then Groshartner can launch away in the last kilometer because his acceleration is pretty mad. So I feel like Groshartner is a name that will be on my mind for a bit. Outside of them, I would take a look at potentially a Caja rider in a breakaway. Last ride decent at hills, but I think their main focus should be Jonabed Asturi and just blatant breakaways. I think Hector Saiz, didn't he do something last year? I think he was pretty close to a stage win in 2019. I guess I'm wrong because he never even hit the top 20. So, oops. <laughs> and outside of that, Lotto Sudal has a team that doesn't really have much to offer in GC and therefore would have to go for stage wins. And I think Tim Wellens is going to be the rider there that has to do it for the team. And potentially the youngsters can try and come out. Stone the Wolf, Kobe Golson, Scherben Tyson. I think the Wolf is the most known name in there. There's also the guy that won two Velta stages in a single year, Thomas Marshinsky. I don't think he's ever going to do that again. I don't think Marshinsky's ever going to win a race again. And um, yeah, I'm still surprised that he did that. It doesn't, yeah, it's so surprising. But Thomas Marshinsky, I don't think he's going to be offering too much up. But if I have to give a name, Adelado Sudel, that can win a stage, Tosh van der Sande. In a breakaway or in a reduced bunch, he can sprint on a hill stage. And I feel like Van der Sande might have an opportunity there. And then if we take a look at NTT, they've got quite a few riders that can go for stage wins. But they're also the team that often disappoint if we say that they are able to win stages. And we've got Carlos Barbero. He's a bit of a hilly sprinter, puncher type I think he was thrown out of Jumbo because he was, I don't know, I think he accidentally, like, I don't know if it, it probably wasn't accidentally, but he told Pascal Ancorn to use sleeping pills in a training camp to sleep better, and that is obviously not uh, pro rules, so that was dumb, and that's <laughs> why he was thrown out of Jumbo. <laughs> that was not big brain. That's what I was looking for, indeed. Um, Mika Valgren, he's washed. Uh, <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> I'm the one with the I, hot takes. You're the diplomat. Um, I, I believe that Valgren has it, but I don't know. I don't think he's going to do it. Maybe in a breakaway. The only way I see him winning a stage is being in a breakaway on a rather tough stage, he knows he can do that. He knows he can climb as well, but not with the best, obviously. He can climb decently to try and overcome a climb with the breakaway and then try and use a downhill to his to his advantage because he's a good descender and he's got a bit of a punch in the end if it comes down to a sprint or if it comes down to just muscling away from a group, he can do so. Falgren's up there for me, even though I still think he's washed. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm... I'm not saying I'm not a fan of Valgren, but I've got the feeling that his career is running on a low at the moment, and that's ever okay. since that one year at Astana. And outside of them, I'm going to repeat Max Kanter as a potential sprinter, because I forgot him at the actual sprinter thingy. But outside of that, the only name I can still think of is an Alessandro Kovi or Yabushenko, so the team of UAE has plenty of riders that could win a lot from the breakaway. Kovi, Costa, De La Cruz, Yabushenko, Formolo, 
maybe not Oliveira <laughs> and Sergio now. So I think they've got like six riders who could win from breakaways. And if they use that to their advantage, they can come out of this Grand Tour with like five wins. Yeah, UAE got such a strong breakaway climbing squad on the first, maybe the first day they probably could try and contest it from a breakaway. But yeah, they should all try and lose like 30 minutes <laughs> as soon as possible and just get in breaks. Because uh, De La Cruz has won a, a stage of the uh, World Tour of Spain, I think in 2016. And he looked really good in the Tour de France. Uh, look at that stage, ooh, 17 maybe, Col de la Lose, or 16. He was 17. He did a really good job for Tade Pogaccia right at the end. So, yeah, they're, they're really, really strong. Um, pick out him for a stage win. Other than that, like Gino Maida, a guy in who came fourth in 2018 World Chance Road Race, where you've got like Lambrecht, Hirschi, uh, Battistella, Hindley, that 2018 road race was absolutely stacked. He came fourth there, and we've not really seen anything else uh, from him. I'd love to see Mikel Nieve lose a lot of time and go for stages because he can't win the he can't win the Vuelta. So, I mean, what's yeah, sure he can come seventh or eighth or maybe fifth at best. But I mean, if he gets in a break, people he could probably win some of these harder stages as well. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting particularly to see who loses time early. Maybe Vlasov not recovered, like Danny Martinez in Tour de France, right? Maybe Vlasov, it's a, it's a hard first week, which we're about to get into. He has a hard hard first week, loses a lot of time, goes stage hunting. If you were in a break and you were there with Alexander Vlasov in like some of these mountain stages, you'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, just like with Martinez, I guess. But that's all the stage hunters. Now we're going to move on to what we do best, our stage-by-stage stage analysis. I uh, can't wait to do this. We've got 18 stages, so not the usual complement of 21. And I'm going to do my best to read out these. Um, it's Most of the Tour of Spain is in the north of uh, Spain, in the Basque region. So obviously that's uh, my wheelhouse for pronunciation. So stage one from Irun to Arate Aibar, a rolly stage out the gate. Pascal Ackerman and uh, Sam Bennett need not apply for this race, for this stage. 71 k's of flat, then a gent, an uphill false flat for, to a cat three, then another short climb, five and a half k's at 4.7 percent. Maybe they're not drop, not not drop there, but then we come into Alto de Elgueta, 2.9 k's at 8.8 percent, a category three descent, and then they start about 13 or nine k's from the finish. Sorry, a climb called Alto de Arate, five k's at eight and a half percent. And then it's actually a plateau, I think, for a few kilometers and a slight downhill. So it's not a pure uphill finish, this first stage. And I was initially thinking Roglic takes red jersey, wears it all the way to Madrid. I don't think he's winning this stage, Benji. I know he is the favorite, I think, for this first stage, but it's not a mountaintop uphill finish. It's it's different to that. It's slightly downhill when you look at the profile a bit closer. Um, so I think it's going to be actually... A slightly punchier guy winning this stage, um, and I don't have my pick, <laughs> my pick just yet. I mean, Roglic probably will be up there. It all depends on how hard Jumbo Visma ride this climb, right? It's not that long. Five k's, eight and a half percent. Are they really going to go all out on this on this first climb? I think it's probably a little bit hard for Bagioli, and yeah, I think it's going to be riders like Formolo or Rui Costa who are going to be up there. Uh, rather than, or maybe Michael Woods, I don't think he's going to get dropped here. So, 
that's a lot of ewing and ahhing, but I think uh, I think Richard Carapaz wins this stage, Benji. That's a good call. And um, I think the amazing thing about this Vuelta, which also is the sad part about it, is that it's only 18 stage, and that's because the first three stages were taken out because Portugal didn't want the race to have three stages in Portugal due to COVID. And it made this race start on a rather odd first stage for a Grand Tour, which I don't mind. I love this finish and I find it very intriguing. And I think that we're going to see a rider that is not per se an elite rider, as in LEGC rider, but has the capabilities of doing this and has done it before this year. And therefore, I'm going to say that the winner is going to be Felix Groschartner. We've spoken about him in the start list here. It's going to be tough for him to climb. i got to be honest. This is a bit of a dark horse play. But I believe that he's got the capabilities of beating the elite guys in that finish. It's going to be a bit of a descent finish. So that's the uh, odd part about it. But I still think he's got the capabilities of doing it. Let's hope it's not a dangerous finish because I don't actually like descent finishes. Definitely not if multiple riders get to it. But... I've got the feeling that it's somewhat going to be the stage where the elite group is going to thin out. There's going to be people in there that are not per se GC riders, and those are going to try and punch away. And that is why I think I've got the likes of Felix at the head of this race. But got to be honest, years ago, you would have said Valverde hands down, but that's not the case anymore. But I think that's roughly about everything we can add here on stage one. It's a wonderful stage to start the Volta Espana with, but if we look at stage two already, oh, but what about the break? Well. Uh, hold on, breakaway. Oh, You're the breakaway whisperer. Is it possible for a break to go here um, and win from the break? Because I don't know. It, it's tough because if Dan Martin goes in the break, they bring it back. Do you think breakaway or do you think Yumbo will try and control uh, or Ineos this stage for Carapaz or the, the GC leaders? I think we'll see some control and definitely because it's a fast stage of a Grand Tour. And <laughs> I can't remember too many occasions where the first race was won by a breakaway. I think the only time I can remember was Barcelona a few years back in the... Was it in the Vuelta or was it in Tour de France? I don't even know at this point. I think it was the Vuelta. So, yeah, I believe that it's going to be the GC guys that try and fight it out here. But there's always a possibility that a breakaway takes it. But I find it odd to have a breakaway win on stage one. It's just something that... It's hard to fathom for me, but it's always possible. I just don't see it happening. I think that we know that the person who wins the stage gets the red jersey on day one. And there's plenty of people that are going to want to have that first red jersey, even if it's just for for one day. And I think it's going to be for multiple days for most people because stage two is a bit harder when it comes to the climb, but overall it's not hard a stage per se. So I just don't see a breakaway winning. Or do you believe that there's going to be no control at all? Uh, probably probably not a break. But yeah, that stage two, as you mentioned, Pamplona to Leckenberry. Uh, I made it sound like an Irish city, Leckenberry. Uh, it's a 151k <laughs> stage, nice and short. And in the first 20k, we've got a 7.5k, 4.8% climb, a nice platform for the breakaway to develop. Then you've got a cat free climb, Puerto de, de Urbasa, 6.8 Ks at 5.7%. Uh, 
plateau, descent, valley, uh, first intermediate sprint, 118 k's in, and then the Alto de San Miguel de Arala, Arala, 9.5 k's, 7.9% cap one, and that is that crests 26, 27 k's from the finish, and then once again a descent into the finish in a 1k, I think flat section at the end. I'm not sure. Matai Mohoric, I believe, is winning a stage using his descent ability at some point in this welter. This probably is a little bit too difficult for him, this final Category 1 climb. Again, we're looking at riders like Davide Formolo. Will he be able to get in the break? Probably not here this early. Um, so, yeah, I don't. It, it could be so many different riders that would win this stage. If it was from the GC group, again, you'd be running down Alejandro Valverde if we thought he was in uh, magic form. And as, the, only, the other problem is as well here, we don't have clear riders like Diego Ulisi or Wout Van Aert or even Sagan who are really good climbing sprinters. The, the sprinters that are here can't climb that well at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, who do you think is going to win this stage, Benji? Because I'm kind of at a loss. It could be so many different names and I wouldn't even be surprised if a breakaway run here either. Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. And I think it's going to be a rider that can climb but can also finish it off in a group sprint. And the names I'm thinking of directly would be Alex Aramburu. <laughs> I know I'm kind of biased towards him, but I've got the feeling that the climb might be a bit too hard for him. But on the other end, how hard are you going to ride on the climb? The climb is a good, it's still a solid margin from the finish line, to be honest. It's a good now 16 kilometers from the line, but the thing is, it's descending. It's not like there's a plateau section of like 14 kilometers. So attacks on the climb can actually sustain themselves. And that's why it's difficult to judge whether it's GC or whether someone can actually finish it off afterwards. And looking at the parkour, knowing that there's descent from the top of the climb till the finish line, basically, then I believe that it's more likely to have the GC guys fight for it. Who will actually take it? That's a really tough one. I think that, yeah, that's a really tough one. It's a stage where you can't really... Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) I think I'm going to just call it. And Alejandro Valverde, I, I hope that he finds a way to pop his head out. And on a stage like this, this is perfect for him since he should be able to follow the GC lads. It's not above 2K. It's not the most intense climb either. So he should be able to hang on. And if he does... He's going to be one of the favorites for the stage to me personally. And I think it's just going to be a tiny bit too hard for the likes of an Aramburu or a sprinter with some climbing capability. But as you said, we don't have too many of that. A Bajoli, mm, yeah, it's going to be Bajoli or Valvade for me. One of those two. Could be them, could be Roglic, could be Carapaz. If they ride the climb easy, which I think they might do, I'm going with Dion Smith from Mitchelton Scott. I think if he's able to catch up and they don't really force the pace on the descent and he only loses 25 to 35 seconds on the climb, if he's in that reduced group, I think he's capable of winning this stage as well as Alexander Rubyshenko for UAE team Emirates. It's got a pretty good kick on him too. So they're the names I'm thinking about, but I'm going with Smith. Uh, a bit of a, he'll be long odds, I think, for that. I don't think anyone will be really thinking he can win that stage. 
Um, but he could get over it if they go slow. If they go hard and light it up, yeah, not happening. Third stage, 165Ks to La Laguna Negra de Vinuesa. It's a pretty simple stage, to be honest. They got uphill false flat for like 78 kilometers of just like 2% climbing and then a valley or flat section where they have the intermediate sprint 147Ks in and then they have a 6.5K, 6.7% climb uh, at the end. Pretty basic stage, not too complicated at all. A breakaway could win here, um, but I'm going with uh, Primoz Roglic to win this stage. Oh, that's a good pick as well. But like before this Velta, we don't really know what stages Jumbo is going to try and take care of as controlling the pace. Honestly, <laughs> you could say every single mountain stage, but the issue is that the majority of the Vuelta is mountains, <laughs> so it's hard to guess that at this point. Uh, I think that if Jumbo controls it, it's most likely going to be Roglic as well. But I can't just neglect the possibility of the breakaway, even though uh, the stage doesn't really shout it, does it? I'm still going to call it. This is going to be a breakaway stage. I just believe in it. And... <laughs> I don't think it's going to be one of those riders that you say, oh, this guy is going to be the guy that wins it. Um, but it's going to be a rider that we've seen win stuff before. And it's going to be a rider that we've seen win mountain stages before. And one of those names that I can see on the start list is Nance Peters of Agisère La Mondiale. I think he's going to win a stage in this Grand Tour. I am now saying that it's this stage, but it could be any other mountain stage. This man has the capabilities of taking care of most of the breakaways he gets in. And I think Nos Peters is going to be the lad that takes the victory on top of La Laguna Negra de Vinuesa. What a climb name. But it could yeah, be, I think could the be break's going to win this one. could be Moritz. It could be Formolo if he gets in the break. Um even if it's not the break, it's this is kind of like a uh, a bit of a hardish Liège finish. I mean, yeah, if Formula loses enough time, sure, he could also. I'd be very concerned if you're in the breakaway with him. But yeah, moving on to stage four, it's again another well, not really hilly actually. 190k stage, the first pure stage for the sprinters from Garay Numancia to Ejea de los Caballeros. 190k's, an intermediate sprint. 23k from the line and then a finale they start like at a thousand meters and descend to about sea level so interesting stage but yeah i'm picking sam bennett to take out his first sprint victory of this year's welter the stage looks like the guadalajara stage when it comes to the profile i just can't deny that but yeah obviously the weather forecast i'm not sure it's the same but if i have to choose a winner of this stage then I think I have to follow you in that. I think Sam Bennett's going to take it in the sprint here. And even if it comes down to Echelon somehow, Quickstep is a team that usually takes care of those. So I believe that indeed Sam Bennett is going to be the victor at this stage. And that brings up the interesting detail that the points classification, you've only got three real stages for sprinters here in this Vuelta. So I think it's most likely going to go to a climber instead of a sprinter and we've seen that already so far so i feel it is indeed more like a points jersey in the Vuelta compared to the sprinter's jersey what, do you, what is your take on that do you feel like that's annoying that 
AGC person can take the points classification with him again? It's normally Valverde, right? Not doesn't he clean up the, the points jersey at the Vuelta? Um, he's probably won it like I don't know how many times. Um, but yeah, he it's generally not won by sprinters. Just there's so many so few fewer sprint stages and I don't mind it. The Vuelta can the Vuelta can pretty much do what it wants, uh, to be honest. But moving on <laughs> to stage where is this now? Stage five. Already we're moving. Huesca to Sabinianigo. 186Ks, another rolly stage. And this is why if Froome is not on great form and maybe he's working into some form and, um, yeah, like it's just going to be difficult for him to be competitive, even Vlasov if he's still, still feeling a little bit under the weather. It's going to be difficult for those guys because this first week is so hard because this is the welter and that's the way they make these stages and why it's so exciting. Rolly, rolly, rolly terrain for 100Ks with no major climbs and then they have what should really be nearly an HC climb if you put the two together. Oh, no, sorry, it is. They have put it together. Um, it's the Alto de Vio, 13.3Ks, 4.7%, but with the first 6Ks at about 7%. Short descent and then another climb, Alto de Fanlo, 6.3Ks at 4.5%. Shouldn't be any GC action there. That is not difficult at all. But then descent and 160Ks in, they have an intermediate sprint <laughs> at the base of the last climb. And then the Alto de Petralba, 8.8Ks, 5%. Short and then a longish descent of 18Ks and then a rise to the finish. So if they do it easy and it's a GC group, I think Andrea Bagioli is winning the stage, maybe ahead of Kovi or Rebyshenko. Uh, I think this is a better place for Mohoric to, depending on how technical these descents are, to try and make a difference there. But yeah, I'm going with Andrea Bagioli for this stage because I don't think the GC guy is going to be too bothered about trying to make a difference here. I think that's a really good call. Like, genuinely, I feel like you've got a real possibility there with Bagioli. Mm, I think that I have to look at riders that could potentially have lost time already and. Therefore, I'm thinking among the likes of Rui Costa for the breakaway, but will he have lost enough time already to go in the breakaway or will he try and sustain a GC? Which no, Costa won't go in the break. Good at all. No way. Because they, not in the break. They, they, th- they think he can win this stage from the GC group and they're not wrong. Um, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. I am going to say Alexander Yabushenko and... I'm yep. going to say that because I think UAE has got a really good team in trying to launch attacks at the start of the stage to try and form the breakaway. They've got multiple riders that can do it on the stage. And Yabushenko has done plenty of this style of racing on the Italian Classics. He's done decent results on them. Coppa Sabatini, he got third. And that is a rather similar stage as in very hilly among the parkour, but a rather flat ending. Here it's a bit of a punchy ending but I think that only helps the likes of Ryabushenko, and therefore he's going to be my pick for this fifth stage. It's also just a good breakaway stage. I think it's most likely going to be the break. I don't see Jumbo controlling it. I don't know what other team would control it. So I would have already renamed the likes of a Grosschartner, but I won't name him for every stage like this, but he might even fit more on this stage on the first stage, to be honest. But I was just going to say. Yeah. 
he he is perfect for this stage. It exact the finale. If you you got to look closely at these finales because in the overall profile, is a general rule with these uphill ones. You have to go in and look at the last kilometer closely because it's kind of hidden in these mountain stages. It just looks oh it's a bit of an uphill finish. No, it's flatter and then it kicks up with eight hundred left, like that Vuelta Burgos stage he won where he attacked at about that moment six hundred to seven hundred left. I think he'd be well served getting the break, but maybe yeah I think. Gross Chardonnay fits very, very well for this sort of stage, as Benji said. But moving on to stage six from Biescas to the Col de Tourmalet stage. What a stage. You know, finishing in France. It finishes in France, right? There's not a Spanish side of the Tourmalet. Or my, my geography is not that good, Benji. Yeah, there's uh, no Spanish side of the Tourmalet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that it's wonderful to have that in. And the thing is that this is also above 2K, so we got to look at the weather. At the moment, the Tourmalet stage is looking good. I don't want to shit on the Barty again, but I had the same feelings about the Giro climbing stages at the end in the preview of that, that we have to look at the forecast before we start hyping ourselves up for the stage. It is an amazing stage on paper, but it has to happen first. I hope it does. The Tourmalet finish is historical. The fact that it's in the Vuelta is very surprising to me. I was not expecting that. Biescas to the Trumalet, two major mountains before, and it's not even the smallest ones. I am so in love with having the Obisque in a stage, and if it's just before the Trumalet, it's even better. This is one of the best mountain stages of the year, and I hope it becomes madness. This is won by GC, hands down, and... The best climber comes out on top, and I think that's going to be Alexander Vlasov. I got Sepp Kuz for this stage. It's a short one, 137Ks. I think, yeah, I think Jumbo Bismarck should use Kuz in that way. I think they should attack far with him and try and let him get him to gain a few minutes on GC. I think Roglic is going to be that guy who he's just always going to take the bonus seconds, and I don't really see any Carapaz dropping him outright to be honest, um, on these mountain stages. So, yeah, I'd really like them to use Coos as an aggressor, as a third GC threat. I think if it was longer, I would like Dumoulin as well. It wouldn't surprise me if Tom Dumoulin won this stage. But what about Thibaut Pino, Benji? Is he at the level where he could beat Sepp Coos on this climb? I don't think so. I think Sepp Coos straight up better climber than Thibaut Pino. So um, I think as long as Coos is in that same form as in the Tour de France, I don't really see how Thibaut Pino can can win this stage. Can a breakaway win it? I mean, it's not that it's not that long, so there's not that much time for it. Really, when when can a breakaway form? They're straight into climbing to the Alto de Portalet for 15 k's at five percent descent, 16 and a half k's at seven percent on the Obisque descent, and then a short valley, and then an intermediate sprint. Good luck, Sam Bennett, uh, and then 18 and a half k's <laughs> at seven and a half percent the Tourmalet. So. It has to be, as you said, GC. There's just I don't see how the breakaway uh, can win this. But yeah, Kuz a possibility, or am I dreaming? I believe Kuz is a possibility, but I'm not sure how his form is going to be post Tour de France. He was amazing at the Tour de France, but can he sustain that till the Vuelta? We obviously have that for the majority of the riders starting here that we're unsure about their form towards this Vuelta. If he's at the form of his Tour de France, he's up there for this. For sure. Pino, it's going to be difficult. I think that the Tourmalet is probably one of the stages that he's going to be focusing on 
himself most of all. And the inability for the breakaway is indeed mainly because I don't think any amazing climbers will have lost enough time to be able to get away on the first climb and sustain it till the end. And I think the breakaway riders are just a pretty large margin behind the GC guys when it comes to their strength. The only rider that, of all the people in this whole peloton that I see winning this from a breakaway, is Davide Formolo on a really good day. But I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that it's going to be GC. I think we're going to see one hell of a battle. The only issue I have with this is, I think it's too early in the Grand Tour. And that is because I don't think people have lost enough time to try and explode it on the Obisco or the Portale yet. And that's why I think that I'm slightly disappointed with this parkour, is that it's so early in the race. Is that just a non-issue for you? Or do you think that I somewhat have a point there? I mean, I don't have an issue with it. I think Yamba Visma should look at this as an opportunity and not wait. I think Ivan Sosa will lose time on this stage. And I think if Yumbo Visma did just absolutely talk it, instead of using Kus as an aggressor, if they used him and Dumoulin to just destroy the base of the Tourmalet and then send Roglic solo with half the climb left, um, I mean, that's <laughs> I'd back that as a good option too. So... I don't know. It depends whether they take this up as an opportunity, which I definitely think they should. But I can't wait for that stage. It's it's going to be super exciting. Maybe it would be more epic if they made it a little bit longer, longer, more calories burnt, etc. Maybe Carapaz, uh, we'll see how he goes, or Danny Martinez as well. Could Danny Martinez win? Maybe. I like him on longer, harder stages, to be honest. But moving on to stage seven, Victoria Gastais to Villanueva de Valdebovia. It's 159Ks, and it looks like it does a couple of, a circuit flat, and then they do a descent from 500 metres to about 150 metres altitude. 7.8Ks at 7.6%, Canary 1 climb, Puerto de Orduña, and then they have rolling terrain with like a 3K, 5.5% climb, flat again, intermediate sprint, 117Ks in, and then a second repetition of that climb, 8Ks at 7.6% descent, and then rolling terrain to the to the line, 15Ks after that descent. And I'm going to – I feel like I just have to name the same sort of names again so that they'll eventually win one of these stages. But, yeah, uh, Dion Smith, as you said, Aaron Baru. Um, but I'm going with – I'm going with Robert Stannard for uh, this, this stage win, Benji. I'm going with Aramburu because I said he wouldn't win the other one. So he's going to win this one instead. He's going to win it. He could win it from both the breakaway and the peloton. I think most likely I see it happening from the breakaway on the stage because I don't see anyone really controlling the stage. I just don't know who would do it. So I think that the breakaway is taking the stage and that Aramburu is going to be present in that and is going to take the seventh stage of La Vuelta a España. But I think moving on, we've got the eighth stage, which is from Logroño to Alto de Moncalvio, which is one hell of a finish once again, basically 11.3 kilometers at 7.6%. It's not the only climb in the race, but the other one is somewhat past the middle of the stage. Second cat climb, 10 kilometers at 5%, so most likely not going to be used as a jumping board or anything for any riders. I, It's hard with all these stages because... They could either go to the breakaway or not. And 
it's hard to guess which one is going to be controlled. And I think this is less likely to be controlled because of all the plateau sections in between. But if one GC team decides to keep the gap at three minutes, then the stage is for the peloton. So it's really hard to start guessing whether it's breakaway or peloton at this point before having seen the first two stages to see where the dominance lies, what teams are taking control of most of the stages. So I'm going to have to guess that the climb is just long enough to catch the breakaway. And because of that, I'm going to go on a stretch here. And I think that the winner of this stage is going to be... Oh, it's tough. It's really tough because we're just blatantly it's guessing not, at this point. It's not Who's tough. winning? Roglic. Why? Because it's an uphill mountaintop finish with one 10k, 5.5% beforehand. Yumbo control, train, Roglic, bang. Thanks for coming. That's how I see this stage. Uh, it could be happening, but yeah, it's such a Vuelta finish, of course. Just like 2019. <laughs> You're not wrong in that, but I don't want to see Roglic like picking up every single mountain finish. <laughs> We haven't I, said him that much before. Honestly, how many stages have we said Rocklish? We didn't pick him for stage one. I don't think we said him there because of the descent, but this is a proper mountain finish, like in Dauphiné and Tour de Land. Like this, this is like those stages. I mean, but yeah, I, I won't. I, I like you going for a slightly outsider pick. It makes it more interesting. So I, I won't tread on your toes. Go ahead. I'm going to say Sosa. And the reason that I'm going to say Sosa is because he's going to be in that peloton once they start the climb, except for whether echelons or pause before that. But let's hope for Sosa that's not the case. He's going to be in that group. He's going to stick himself in the wheel of the jumbo train and he's going to try and finish it off in the last portion. It's steep again. It's rather really steep, I'd say, because yep. 8%, 11.3 kilometers. On paper, yeah, Roglic is favorite here. Come on, let's be honest. But Come on, we've we've got to point at some other people as well. You're right that we haven't pick. named them yet, but I think Sosa's going to be a good pick here for the Alto de Moncalvio, and I believe that he can take it. Why do I think it's not the breakaway? I don't know. I um, I feel like the climb is long enough to catch them if they're up there, and I feel like unless it's a really good breakaway rider, then it's going to be tough to stay ahead of the peloton on a finish like this. But moving on, I guess. No, no, just as you said, Ben, I want to make it clear to everybody how this climb is kind of a, the average gradient's fake news. First 4Ks averages 3%. Last 4Ks averages 10.5%. So it is a climb of, I guess, two-thirds with a moderate grade in the middle, flat, flattish at the start and hard at the end. Ivan Sosa attacking in the last kilometre, like in Laguna Estanaya, possible. I think that's a good shout from you. Um, but yeah, I just I just can't go past Roglic here, and I think it's a great opportunity with an easier maybe last four stages of the Vuelta for Jumbo Visma to really cement his GC lead. And I think they're going to learn from the Tour de France and be like, if he's got good legs, put time, put big time into Carapace, put big time into Vlasov, and yeah. So I think they're going to try and be aggressive here once again. Maybe Dumoulin. I mean. Uh, do my work for a later stage, but sorry, Benji, I cut you off. Go ahead with stage nine. Stage nine starting Castillo del Val and finishing Aguilar 
del Campo. This is 160 kilometers, basically relatively flat. Got some hills in there, but they don't seem to be too influential on the stage itself. And therefore, I think it's going to be a plain mass sprint, not really a breakaway either. Although it's always advantageous that you've got these smaller hills in the last 30 kilometers, I still think that the likes of a Bennett with Quick Step can control the pace throughout the stage. They don't have a Tim de Klerk at the start here, if I checked correctly. So they don't necessarily have that person to pace the whole race, but I think Ian Garrison is going to replace that quite a bit. He's a time trialist, and therefore I think that he's going to fall into that role quite perfectly. I don't know what his abilities as a climber are, though, so I don't know what his goals in life are, but I think he's going to fit right in in that position. And I think Bennett should be one of the favorites here, but I'm going to give a bit of a shout to a Belgian guy. I think Jasper Philipsen will win this one. Bennett can't win all the stages. And I don't trust Akamon. That's just plain simple. I don't think Akamon has been consistent enough this year. He sprinted well at Tireno, but he also didn't sprint well at some stage in Tireno. So again, inconsistency. Philipsen also very inconsistent, but he's got a breakthrough. It's his first Grand Tour properly, and it's a bit odd that they sent him to this race of all races. He's got a mediocre capability of right getting over hills. So yeah, I find it odd that they send him to the Vuelta, but then again, they had Gaviria and such. They probably expected more from Gaviria in the Giro, but I think Philipson is going to win this stage. Yeah, I mean, Maretsko, there's a couple of hills here. He probably can't get over them. Um, <laughs> it'd be too hard for him. Like, it's literally like a 500-meter hill in the last 22Ks. Probably be too hard for him. Um, I'm going with Bennett again. I just, I just think it's going to be, yeah, the quick step train is, is too strong. And I don't know, we might have to get the radar out to see if there's any crosswind action here, but it's not that long either. Um, so that could be a possibility, certainly. They've got Stibar. I think Quickstep will definitely be trying to do stuff in crosswinds if uh, the opportunity presents itself. But moving on to stage, I think, 10 now. We're hustling. Castro Ordiales to Suanchez. I'm st- oh, that's, that's no good, that pronunciation. This is a Liège-style uh, stage. We've got two two-kilometer-ish climbs, about five, five-and-a-half percent in the first 18 kilometers, so breakaway could form nicely there. We've then got other rollers, 1,800 meters at seven percent, other ones that are uncategorized, but they're still there in the middle, not pancake flat by any means. We've then got four-and-a-half Ks at 4.1 percent, 4.6 Ks at three-and-a-half percent. Then four K. now we're getting into the last two or 10 Ks, 15 Ks, 3.8 Ks at 2.2 percent, and in the final climb, average gradient is 1.5 k's long at 6%. And I just want to get up quickly, the have a closer look at this finale, because this is one of those ones that I mentioned. You've got to look at the finale really closely. And it's pretty much, yep, it's uphill, 6% uh, for that last, maybe even a little bit steeper there. Do I think it's too hard for Bennett? Yes, I think it's too hard uh, for Sam Bennett. A breakaway? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I'm going to go with Dion Smith, possibly, but then again, I would go. No, nah, I'm not going to Dion Smith because it's it's uphill. Let's go with. I'm going to go with Andrea Bagioli again. Fuck. <laughs> it was also my pick. <laughs> yeah, he's hands down the the right right pick here 
in his glory days, I'd put in Valverde for sure. And Valverde is probably still going to be up there. But Bajoli is going to win the stage. And I'm I'm certain of it. <laughs> no, we're never certain of things, but I believe that the stage is perfect for him. Bajoli has shown that his punching has been very good. And therefore, I believe stage 10 is good for him. And the likes of Bennett, maybe the last climb isn't even hard enough. I think it's hard enough for him. It's going to be too hard for him. But the portion before that is already quite vigorously hard. And therefore, oh, I don't think okay. Bennett is... Right, it's okay, but still, they've got another 1.2 kilometers at 6.4%. You've got another climb over there, another climb over there. It's up and down and up and down, and I think it's quite elusive that this last portion looks like it's just a plateau section moving towards the last climb, but there's plenty of hills in between there. You know who I could think could win this stage? Dial back the clock, and I'm not joking here either, Dan Martin. I think he's okay. If he's recovered from his back injury, I, I wouldn't. Would, I would not be surprised. He did okay in flesh, I think. Did he come up fifth or something? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Dan Martin was up there too. Same with Ruby Koshta, Guru Shartner. I've got to mention those guys too. Even Jay McCarthy on Bora Hansgrohe. But yeah, going with Andrea Bavioli. Moving on to stage 11 from Villa Vicchiosa to Alto della Parapona Lagos de Somiedo. I'm crushing it today, Benji. You <laughs> thought I was going to do none of these Basque names. Yeah. I'm destroying it. 168Ks climbing again. More proper climbs than in the previous stage 10. It starts off out the neutral zone with a 7K climb to Alto de la Campa at 4.5%. Get that breakaway forming just nicely. Then flat, Alto de la Coladona, 6.7Ks at 6.6%. Don't know why that's a cat one. Alto de la Cobertoria, 10Ks at 8.7% after a 20K, 25K period of flat descent. Flat again, then another climb, Puerto de San Lorenzo, 9.5Ks, 9% descent. And then the easiest climb of the day is the last one, 18.6Ks at 5.7%. But again, I want to just have a, a closer look to see whether that's an undulating climb and whether they're lying to us because, yeah, they are. <laughs> I think they're lying to us once again. <laughs> the, <laughs> the first half is not as steep at all. It's a lot of the kilometres are under 3% actually, um, about 3% average gradient. And then the last half, the last 7Ks or 6Ks of this climb is solid. Eight, I think an average of 8.5% for the last 6Ks. So I don't want to say it again, but if the GC group is there, I think – Primoz Roglic, once again, would probably be the favourite for this stage. But I think this is going to be a breakaway stage. I think Jumbo Visma should have the GC, all things you know going normally, should have the GC in hand here and should have a decent gap for Roglic. So I think they're going to be, they should be more comfortable with a weaker team overall than the Tour de France, not trying to control all day. They shouldn't try and control all day. So I think a breakaway is going to go and I'm hoping he's going to be in this break. Davide Formolo winning this stage. Mm, Formolo, that's... Oh, is going to be a breakaway? I don't know. I find it really hard because I've got the feeling that a Formolo two, three years ago would even go for GC on this kind of terrain. But I don't think he has the capabilities of... Well, he has the capabilities of four years ago, but he's realized by now that his capabilities could get him stage wins instead of a top 10 in a Vuelta. So... If it comes down to a breakaway, 
and he's in there, then he's definitely the favorite. But I feel like there's so many GC favorites that could control a race like this that you might even have the Peloton take this. But there's so many plateau sections between the climbs as well that makes me doubt that again. The issue that I see with the breakaway is that the last 35 kilometers is first more than false flat. You can't even call it false flat anymore. It's two, three, four percent for the first 20 kilometers. And then there's like the 18 kilometer climb that we're talking about. So yeah, I think that it's going to be for the peloton. And I think that the winner is going to lie in the camp of... Did we talk about Sepkas on this one yet? Mm, I think he's going to need a harder stage, but it's possible. I am going to say, oh, this is difficult. I'm going to go for Sepkas anyway. I feel like it's, uh, I feel like it's doable. The last portion is steep enough. Seven kilometers at roughly 9% average of the last portion, like you said. It's such a meme that they say this is like an 18.6 kilometer climb at 6%. Like you said, it's, uh, it's it's so not. <laughs> it's so misleading. It is so misleading. Oh man! Anyway, what about Chris Froome dialing back the clock? Ninety k's in on that second cat one, he attacks and then goes for a seventy k, seventy five k solo breakaway. Gains ten minutes back. Could we no. see it? I would love to see it because it'd be our most listened to podcast ever. So, Chris Froome, <laughs> we're rooting for you. Please, please do that. Um, the reason I think a breakaway has a chance is because I think. The first 80k is easy, so they're going to let that break go. There's not going to be any GC action. This is low-key one of the hardest stages in this year's Welter. Two, they have three sets of climbs that are like 10k's at 9%, basically. So plus a fair few calories burnt early. So don't sleep on this stage. I think there's going to be big, big GC movement. But yeah, I have to go with... Um, I have to go with, with Roglic again. It, as, he's not going to win all these stages that I say, but he is, I have to say, he's the most likely winner in my eyes uh, of this stage. But moving on to stage, I think, what are we up to now, Benji? Moving up to stage 12? Yes, we are. We're going to be moving up to stage 12 indeed. Oh, this is and the big boy. This is indeed the big boy. I'll this let one you do the, this one. Yeah, this is my history, as in this is what I love. This is Alto de Langliru. This is the climb where Vincenzo Nibali also stole my heart. And um, was this the one where he lost from Horner? Or was that a different one? That was this, this one, right? Be, I think it was this one. This is also oh, where... Oh, I'm heartbroken. Where Kobo and, Froome, <laughs> Kobo and Froome went head-to-head in 2011. Contador won, didn't he, in 2017? Was yeah. that here? Yeah, yeah this, this, was, this climb was. is steeped in so much history. But yeah. Go, go ahead with the profile, Benji, because it's an, it's just a classic Vuelta, a comically short stage. Yes, it's 109 kilometers long. The first portion of it, you could basically say that the first 24 kilometers are going downhill, <laughs> minus 1%, that's it. And then we start climbing Alto del Padrun, that is 3.5 kilometers at 6.6%. I think this is where the breakaways start forming. I think in the first 25 kilometers, you'll have a hard time to have that happen. So Padrun first, then Alto de Santo Emiliano, 5.9 percentage, 3.9 kilometers. Then the Alto de la Mosqueta, that is with only a small plateau section of like a few kilometers in between all these climbs, like one, two kilometers, three kilometers sometimes. 
Uh, this climb is 6.4 kilometers, 8.2%. You're basically halfway to stage then, already three climbs in. And then you've got a pretty long time until you start the second to last climb. And this Mosqueta goes downhill, descends to about 75 kilometers into the stage. So about 75% then basically. You've got an intermediate sprint there. I don't think Bennett's going to be there, I'm afraid. So he's not <laughs> going to be getting those points. But afterwards, with a solid... 25 kilometers left in the stage you've got the second last climb starting alto del cordal which is 5.6 kilometers at 8.8 percent and then a descent towards the infamous alto de langliru that starts starting at 96 kilometers into the stage with a good 13 kilometers left 13.2 but this climb is so misleading as well in the parkour because the first portion is not as steep as the last portion. And let me tell you that the first kilometer, 4.5%. After that, the next four kilometers, roughly 7 to 8%. Then you've got a plateau kilometer of 2%. And the last seven kilometers, generally, I'd say the last six kilometers before the finish line, you've got the last kilometer flattening out again. But the six kilometers before that, basically average between 30 and 16 percent there's one kilometer with 17.6 percent average a full kilometer this climb is an absolute monster and it's gonna be one of the queen stages for me together with the tourmaline stage but this one more because the angliru is fuelta history and who is gonna win this one i think this is where we 100 see sepka's winning and that is because you've got the steepness you've got everything that he needs to stay up there and I believe that he can bring this one home. And this is where Roglic will also be good. I think there's they're both going to be in that front group again. Hope Sepkaz gets an opportunity in this Vuelta because I've got the feeling Jumbo might just use going for Roglic and Dumoulin again, but they shouldn't. They should use please as no. well. And please do it on this stage because Free he's got him. a real opportunity. Free Kass, a new hashtag. If if they don't let if he's got good legs and they don't let him go, I'll be fucking mad. I mean, I'm already mad. This is three weeks, two weeks before, and I'm getting hopped up about this. This is if he has the legs, you've got to let him go. Just as well, it makes sense for GC. If he's close on GC, and I don't know why he would have lost a lot of time at this point, put Carapaz and Co under pressure. I'd love to see Ivan Sosa and Koos fighting it out. Do you think? I mean, if Sosa was going to win a stage, Benji like Laguna Stanaya. It's got to be the Angleru, right? He weighs like 53 kilos. This has got to be one of his stages. But I'm going with, with Sepp Kuss, uh as well. I, can't, I cannot wait for this stage. One of the ones I'm most excited about. Um, but moving on to stage four, oh, 14 now. The ITT, 33 kilometers long. Muros, do Mirador, de Azaro, Dumbria. And it's starting in Muros, and we've got a Muro at the end. I mean, the Vuelta... They're so weird, man. Whoever designs these profiles, like, you never see this in any other Grand Tour. Pancake <laughs> flat for 31Ks. Like, I'm talking, yeah, flat. Like, oh, rollers that they're still going to do at like 48Ks an hour, I think. And then an 1,800-meter climb, wait for it, averaging 14.2%. Who <laughs> finds this? Who thinks of this? Like, as well, I need to check. Is it, we will need to check. Is this in like into a town where it's uh, cobbled? 
I mean, yeah, it's – oh, sorry, this is stage 13, isn't it, the ITT? Yeah, my bad, stage 13. I don't have the exact percentage gradient for each, like, 500-meter section, but, yeah, you've got to – yeah, I've got to pick Dumoulin for this stage. I can't go past anyone else. Hmm. Yeah, on paper, that's that's true, you know. Yeah, I think that Dumoulin is going to be really strong. This looks way more like his World Championships – uh, stage than the Plange de Belfia did. And I feel like it's got a very similar parkour in the sense that flat and then the uphill part. But the uphill part is just not as long. It's only two kilometers. And therefore, I think that Dumoulin will win because nobody's going to dare a bike change for only two kilometers of climbing, I'd say. It's oh, still 15%. No, oh my God. That. Yeah, you're right. It's 14.2%, so... 14.2%. No, I won't do a bike change. You know that. <laughs> yeah, well, he should. <laughs> but I think he's going to he's gonna gain so much time on the flat section. That's the thing. He's We saw him world champs. On the flat, he's, he's, he's hustling. But 1,800 metres at 14.2%. Can you remember, Benji, any time trial having a finish like this in recent memory? Not really. I can't remember any finish like this, but it does intrigue me and it will make us talk about bike changes again, which like I've got a feeling that a few years ago in time trials, about 99% of the time trials didn't need bike changes. And in recent years, it's been coming up more and more. And now basically every single time trial we talk about, we have to introduce the story about bike changes again. And we did so at the Giro. And we have to do so again on this stage. And yeah, I said that they shouldn't do a bike change earlier, but that's clearly wrong because I didn't see the percentage of the last climb yet. And with a 15% last two kilometers, the only rider that won't do a bike change is Tom Dumoulin. That's my prediction. Tom Dumoulin is not going to do a bike change, but I think he's still going to be up there. And I think he's going to have a large chance of doing well here and winning this stage. Roglic will be up there as well. And I think that we've been neglecting his time trial as not us per se, but the majority of people after Plange Belfia. The guy's still a godlike time trialist, and therefore I believe that he's going to be up there as well. And potentially close to Dumoulin overall, but I think Dumoulin has the upper hand here. One rider I'm curious about regarding his time trial, I've spoken about him earlier, Ian Garrison. Is he going to do well here? How's, how's the climb going to hit him? So he's rider I'm looking forward to on stage 13. But yeah, do you have anything to add for the time trial or should I move up to stage 14? I'm just trying to look to see. I just want to see how long this will actually take them. I found it. I found it now. It's the KOM on this climb is eight minutes or seven and a half minutes. I'm pretty sure on uh, this climb. So it, it's not just like three, four minutes. And if it's the road surface isn't great, I feel like a bike change could be, yeah, could be worthwhile. But yeah, let, let's move on now to stage 14 uh, from Lugo to Orense. Have you got the profile up? Yes, I do. It's 204 kilometers and the first half of the race is basically rolling hills, rolling hills. And it's not just small hills. You've got six kilometer climbs at 4%. Then an eight kilometer climb at 3%. It's not per se steep at all, but it's just rolling hills, I'd say. And somewhat halfway to stage, that changed into more climby 
terrain, you've got a climb midway to stage of 8.8 at 4% once again. But then after that, again, 8 kilometers at 4%, like 10 kilometers later. But the real action, I think, is going to happen mainly in the last 25 kilometers. You've got to climb out to the Abelaira. Yeah, I just ruined the pronunciation. Oh, better than your Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> Alto de Abelaira. That's uh, my save here. 6.4 kilometers at 4.2%. Not steep at all. But the majority of the stage is that there's a final ramp of 1.1 kilometers, 6.5 percentage. So it's going to be better for the punchy types. I think that with all the hills in the terrain, that a breakaway is winning this stage. The thing is, I just don't know who will win it. And it's I think we've looked a lot. Certain. Yeah, it, it is impossible to know for certain. And I'm looking at the star list for names that fit on here. And I just end on the same damn names we've said for ages. We've said Bajoli before. We've said well, Aramburu before. I think I'm going to go out of the books, out of what we usually expect. And I'm going to say that we're going to have a surprise winner in Magnus Court Nilsson. And Ooh. the reason is that he's shown before that he can do breakaways on 4% climbs and so forth. A 1.1 kilometer finish at 6% is probably not going to kill him. He's done hilly sprints before. He's won hilly sprints in the Vuelta as well before. I think Magnus Court Nilsson is going to be in the breakaway and finish it off on this stage. That's a decent shout. Um, I want to go with someone slightly different. I feel like we're not giving enough love to uh, some of the yeah the Pro Conti teams, the Spanish teams, and oh, by the way, they don't have uh, Fundacion, the uh, Uscatel team here, which I'm kind of surprised by. I don't know why they're not they're not here. The uh, the Basque team, given that it's in the north of Spain, they've only got Caja Rural and Burgos. And are we missing? Is there a third wild card? I'm missing Team Total Direct Energy. So it's weird they invited. Team Total Direct Energy ahead of the Basque team. I don't really understand. I think that. the is reason that is that oh, yeah. the um, UCI has aligned the rule that you have to. Um, you've got Pro Conti, and the first team in Pro Conti, when it comes to the points, can choose to which races they go. And also the second one or something. There's something in the rules there that they have to allow the first two top teams in Pro Conti to choose where they go in the World Tour wildcard races. And then the leftover of wildcards, the Grand Tour can select. But I'm not sure why I indeed can only see three teams that are wildcarding at this race. I don't know what the rules surrounding that perfectly are. So, yeah, not sure why. I'm going to go with, yeah, someone a little bit different. I'm going to go with Michael Woods. I think Michael Woods uh, wins this stage. I mean, he's not an outrageous pick. He could do it from the GC group. He could do it from the breakaway. Um, so that's why I'm more comfortable going with a guy who I think can do could do it from either of those. Um, but yeah, Michael Woods, we haven't mentioned him, class rider, and he still looks really, really good before he goes to ISU next year. But moving on to stage 15, we've got Moss to Puebla de la San, Sanabria. Um, it's a 231-kilometer stage. I'm not sure if this is the longest stage in this year's Vuelta. It's rolly. That's all I can say about it. Rolling climbs with nothing harder than a Category 3 and nothing steeper than about 6.5%. Um, we've got, let me count, five Cat 3 climbs and a few uncategorized ones. They're all about five to four to six Ks long. And then we've got a descent with 20 Ks to go and then a pretty much false flat downhill or flat into the finish again. 
Alejandro Valverde could win this stage in previous years, but I don't see why I don't see why Ineos or Jumbo Visma wouldn't just let the break go. Why wouldn't you let the break go today? You can't gain time on GC. The climbs aren't hard enough unless someone's having a really bad day. And yeah, I feel like this has to be a breakaway today. And um, again, it could be someone like Mike Woods, but we've got a flat finish. It'll be interesting to see who, who gets in that break. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with an Italian for this, and I'm going to go with Alessandro Colvi. I hope UAE send the 22-year-old into the breakaway here. Oh, it's a good pick, but I think I'm going to have to go with a rider I've said quite a few times already. And I've only said him once for winning a stage, so I'm using that as an excuse to re-pick Alexander Buru here. This is a stage in which I see him being <laughs> in the breakaway. He climbs our 3%, 4%. Aramburu is winning the stage, and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Am I picking him too much? <laughs> I mean, people said we picked Roglic too much in the Tour de France preview, but I mean... Yamba Visma did ultimately define the race. Stage 16 from Salamanca to Theodad Rodrigo. This was uh, both of these places were featured heavily in the Napoleonic War um, back in, I think, oh, between 1808 and 1811, maybe, or maybe a little bit earlier than that, um, if you go and read the Sharp novels. But 163Ks of pretty much flat for the first 50. And the, the this is why the Vuelta is a points jersey, not a sprinter's jersey. Even on a stage like this, the intermediate sprint is after a Cat 2 and a Cat 1. Sam Bennett must be thinking, are you kidding me? So they've got 83Ks in, an easy Cat 2. This is kind of like what they do in Milano San Remo, 14Ks at 4.5% and then descent. And then they do another easy-ish. It's an e- the easiest Cat 1 I've seen, but it, it's, it looks like a fake news climb again, Benji. uh uh-uh. I haven't looked into the exact profile of this, but because there's a descent in it, I'd say it's steeper in sections. Puerto El Robledo, 12Ks at 4%. Descent, two short climbs of about 2Ks at 5%, and then a descent into the finish. I think this is actually going to be quite hard, given the irregular nature of these climbs for some of the sprinty guys, um, like a Dion, I would say Dion Smith, but it's a lot of calories, and... A lot of punchy climbs here uh, once again. I like your pick of Aramburu, uh, but I'm going to go Robert Stannard once again. Hmm. I think the break is winning this one indeed. Who is going to win it? That stuff. I feel like this stage is just plainly breakaway and there's so many people that are going to be in the breakaway. It won't always be the riders that we're naming right now. You can have a Barcello being in the breakaway. You can have a Herrada who we haven't named that will most likely be in the breakaway, but it's the uh, Lesser Herrada. It's not the uh, God Herrada. <laughs> the <Lesser> Herrada. <laughs> Gesh- Geshka? Geshka, um, I don't know. I feel like he's not a finisher anymore, and therefore I, I feel like he's not going to be the pick here for me, but he could win a stage, to be honest, but I just don't feel it. I don't feel it. And because of that, I'm not picking him. I'm going to go for Hector Size as my pick. And I don't remember why. I don't remember where I know him from, but I know him from somewhere. And I think he was in a break in the Vuelta last year and failed. So I think he's going to succeed this year. But it could be so many other people like Alexander Kamp. He could be in the breakaway and take this one. We haven't named them yet. Like there's so many people that could do it. I'm going to switch my pick. Alexander Kamp is winning this stage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving on to stage 17. Uh, Sequeros to Alto de la Covatia. This in my well, this is the last 
mountain stage. This is the last test where they can gain time. I've already forgot there's only 18 stages in this year's Vuelta, and 18 is the procession into Madrid. So this is the last stage for GC action. And because of that, does that mean that there's going to be less chance of a breakaway because teams are pacing really hard to bring the break back? Um, I don't know. We haven't mentioned Kenny Alessandre in this year's Vuelta so far. I think what if uh, what if there's free Kenny? If he could win this stage from a break or maybe the Anglaru stage from a break, possibly, but I don't think so. But, yeah, look out for Kenny because I don't think he's riding for anyone on, on GC. But this stage, 17, 178 Ks, Category 1 climb, not a hard one, 14.1 Ks at 5.5%, then a descent, and it's rolling all day. We've got three Category 3s and a Cat 2 before the HC finale. So 4.5 Ks, 5.7%, 5.6 Ks, 5%, 4.7 Ks, 5.5%, then the Cat 2, 11.5 Ks, 5%, and then... That's, oh, there's a few little punches here and there. The problem is those climbs, they're going to burn calories, but they're drafting climbs, there's, and they're not long either. So they're not going to be – no one on GC is going to really put effort in there to try and create any cause of split. So it is tough, I guess, unless someone's having a really, really bad day, to launch a long-range attack here. And the last climb, Alto de la Covatilla, 11.7K is at 7%. A bit of an irregular gradient once again. Um <laughs> It's like ooh, fake climb, fake news climb alert. <laughs> I thought you had a fire alarm in your house. I was about to stop recording. I was like, "Are you okay?" Okay, never do that to me again. What's what's wrong with this climb? It starts with four kilometers at two percent, basically two, okay. three, four percent, and then after that, it's ten point four, ten point five, eight point five, nine point nine, six point five, five point six, but then again nine point two, and the last kilometer is four percent. So. It is officially a fake news climb merch coming very soon. <laughs> I don't know who's leading the stage. <laughs> yeah, I got a heart attack. I don't do. I'm I'm <laughs> such low sleep. I don't think <laughs> it's hard to say. It, as you get further away from the start, it's, you can be less confident with what's going to happen in the stage. Uh, if it's GC guys again, I'h sorry, but I have to say Primoz Roglic uh, again. Maybe Dumoulin if they launch him long, a bit longer, and no one can follow. From a break, could Wat Pals win this stage? If he loses, he has a bad day and he's 40 minutes behind, Wat Pals can win this stage from a break for sure. Angel Madrazo from a breakaway as well. Got to mention his name. This could be a real stage for him if they, they're not pacing behind. So Madrazo from a break and, yeah, I'm going with uh, Primoz Roglic from the, uh, from the main field. Unless Valverde has ridden himself into fantastic form, certainly could be up there as well. So, But I'm going to stick with Roglic. I'm afraid I'm afraid I have to agree with you, and that is because I feel like this last stage is just with this last GC stage is just not good enough for a last GC stage on a Grand Tour because it's all going to come down to the Covatia and Jumbo is going to control the race. I I just feel it because there's so many rolling hills that they can do so with saving energy on the descents again, going up the climb. It's not the steep climbs, so they can do so for the whole stage and basically come out on top in the end with one of their riders and i think that it's gonna be roglic that does it it really depends on how the parkour has gone so far if roglic is 10 minutes behind because of something happening earlier on then he's most likely gonna be domestiquing but it's odd to think about roglic as a domestique so that's hard to think about but regarding this stage i believe I'm it's gonna be roglic oh I'm boy my pick Tell me. He, he's not as strong at the end of Grand Tours. Even in the Vuelta last year, he let Pagacha win up the road. 
I'm changing my pick and um, I just don't know who I want to change it to yet, but I just I just I don't like Roglic on a stage seventeen at the back end of this insane season. Um, I just I can't tie myself to that. And yeah, I'm going with a Richard Carapaz who's five minutes behind on GC and Yumbo Visma just let him go. They just let him go a little bit and he get takes back maybe twenty five seconds or so. That's I'm changing my pick too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm changing my pick too. I agree with you. We're at the end of a hard season. Roglic is not amazing at the end of Grand Tour. This is a shorter Grand Tour though, so pretty important detail. Still hard as fuck though, all the time. Daniel Felipe Martinez is going to be my pick for this one. I believe that Felipe Martinez is going to come out on top. He's got the muscle for it. He can handle these steeper climbs and he can finish it off on that less yep. steep section in the last kilometer if it comes down to a bit of a sprint between the favorites. So he's my pick for this one. Or he could be one. in a break and win. Nah, he's going to be GC guy. I believe he's good yeah, enough. True. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, he, a... I like that pick too because he could he could do it from either one. So it's just a very solid pick. Um, but there we go. Anyone, everyone that says we pick Roglic too much, Carapaz and uh, Danny Martinez. The South Americans, I like them at the back end of Grand Tours. Um, we saw that with Miguel Angel Lopez in the Tour de France. But moving on to stage 18, the procession into Madrid. <laughs> I want to say Jakob Moretzko. It's pancake flat. It's 125Ks. He <laughs> has to win this stage. already. Oh, fuck, true. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going with, I'm going with Sam Bennett. <laughs> again, he won a chance. I've got to pick him here again. I'm going to go for Jon Aberasturi. So <laughs> <laughs> You're right, I uh, think last year, let me check to be sure for a second here, he got fourth in the sprint. That was behind Jakobsen, Bennett, Sainok and Aberasturi. I feel like Aberasturi has been focusing on this Velta. He's going to surprise us all. He was good at the start of the season. I don't know about his post-corona results they've been pretty good to be honest he's been getting top tens everywhere he rides and he's won a stage at the tour of hungary so he must be hungry for more oh my god <laughs> did i just make that joke <laughs> uh, but i winning in madrid uh, i'm feeling it he's gonna pop his head out on world tour level and he's gonna come out on top and hopefully we, he can secure a contract for next year because he doesn't have one at caja yet which is rather disappointing 31 years old plenty of good results that team needs to re-sign him or a better team needs to sign him because Abedasturi, yeah, I like the guy and he's going to win in Madrid. So all in all, we've got a lot of results so far that we are totally talking about riders, but we haven't really spoken about our GC and so forth yet. So oh, wait, I just want to remind people. In a second, people, we're going to dive into that, but go ahead. Just to remind you which of the stages we think GC action is going to happen on. Tourmalet, stage five, one of the hardest stages. Okay, that, mark that one down. Stage 10 to uh, Alto de la Farapona, that is a beast of a stage. Stage 11, Angleroo, there's going to be GC action. Then there's, or maybe that's, or maybe I've got them wrong, uh, the numbers wrong. Angleroo stage is, I think, what number is that, Benji? Stage 11 or 12? Uh, I think it's 12. Yes, 12. Okay, so stage 12, Angleroo. Stage 13 is another one, the ITT. Obviously, there's going to be GC movement there. And then I think the last one is really that stage 17. So they're the four stages I think there's going to be big GC movement. But yes, Benny, sorry to cut you off. Going into our picks for the jerseys, you have to go first because I still haven't decided yet. (laughs) 
When it comes to the overall general classification of this La Vuelta, I think my winner of the Vuelta is going to be... Oh my god, I need to think about this for a second. I genuinely need to. I think that there's plenty of riders that could come out on top on this Vuelta, and it's 2020, we're going to have upsets, we're going to have, unfortunately, probably COVID tests that come out positive throughout. Let's hope not, but... I just feel it. I think ASO is hosting this. So I think the protocols are going to be better than at the Giro. I think they're really thinning that out towards the Vuelta, even though I haven't heard too much about it yet, to be blatantly honest. And I think we're going to have a winner that is not necessarily the one we expect, but it might come out of the team that we expect it to come out from. Don't you dare pick him. Uh, <laughs> I am no, going go to say the winner of this Grand Tour is going to be. Oh my God, Daniel Felipe Martinez. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to take my pick. My I was going to pick Dum- us, but I changed. I'm picking Tom Dumoulin. Oh, I okay. I think he'll win. I think he'll gain time on the TT. I think he'll climb consistently. I think he's coming into some really good form. He got better and better throughout the Tour de France, I thought, especially when you look at his stage 20 TT. He's had a bit of a rest since then, and that racing in the Tour will be good for him after not racing for 420 days. I think Tumoulin's winning, and I think he's a, he's a, he's a proper class uh, Grand Tour rider, Tom Dumoulin, and he's like, on the le- you know, he can be on the level and battle it out with Froome when Froome was in his peak. So, yeah, I'm picking Tom Dumoulin. He's uh, probably more consistent than, than I'd say than uh, Primoz Roglic. And I, I love Roglic, and we always pick him for a lot of stuff, but it's a, it's been a long season and a long season for him too. So, wouldn't so- obviously Roglic is a short favourite for a reason. I mean, it's the Vuelta. He won it last year. The profile of these stages suit him. But, yeah, I'm going with Dumoulin. Is, is Dumoulin better on, like, the 20K 6% climbs, Benji, or, like, the 10K 9 to 10%? He's shown good strength on both of them, but I think he's better on the longer climbs. But he's also not horrible at these steep climbs. So, I, yeah, from history, I know that the first Grand Tour that he came out really on top was that one, uh, that Vuelta, where he won that stage majestically where he looked like he was dropping and then came back and passed through on the last line to the finish. That was one hell of a stage, and I think that that stage is imprinted in everyone's mind in Vuelta history. That's where Dumoulin came out, and that's where Dumoulin started showing extreme strength towards Grand Tours. And that was a pretty steep finish, so he definitely can do it. question is, what his form is going to be like? And... I still think that the longer climbs fit him more, but uh, it's hard. I feel like, yeah, I oh, think that's... I'm changing my mind now. Because in 2015, he rode the Vuelta. You know he was wearing the leader's jersey going into stage 20? And he lost five positions and went from first to sixth on the hard. I think there was a like 176K stage with four Category 1 climbs. Now I'm worried. But he's a different rider to five years ago. I think he's yeah, seen the hero since then. So I, it's hard to knock him for that. But I'm staying with him. But, yeah, he's he won two stages in that Vuelta, ITT and another hard climb that you mentioned with uh, Froombas, where he beat Froome. But, yeah, sorry, I cut you off, Benji. Yeah, the reason I picked Felipe Martinez is that we know he can do both. And because of that, I've got him on my mind. I just hope that he 
finds form or has form by now, hopefully, <laughs> after a Tour de France that was pretty heavy on him. First of all, being victim of the crash, he fought back, he got a stage win, but overall, his performance was obviously not where we expected it to be as we had him as one of the GC guys pre the Tour de France, mainly because he won the Dauphiné. And he only won it because Roglic abandoned, I'd say. But still, that that's only a detail. What-ifs don't exist in cycling. So we shouldn't really think about them either. But Daniel Felipe Martinez, he's my pick for this because I just believe that we're going to see a Grand Tour that is less ordinary than what we are expecting right now. And plenty of stuff can happen. And if one thing goes wrong for Jumbo, then their entire team might be collapsing throughout this sparkle. So I think that Martinez is going to be my guy for this. But the thing is, we usually go to the uh, points classification after this. And um, it's a bit hard, you know, because I don't really know what I can expect here. We've said before, you said before, that Valverde is the guy that usually picks this one up. But last year he didn't. Last year Roglic did. Pogacar came second, then it came third, and Valverde got fourth. And that's in the ground tour where... Valley wasn't even that bad in, so is he going to pick it this year? Is he going to be the person that takes the majority of stage wins all over the parkour? I think it's going to be that. I think it's most likely going to be the GC winner that just takes it because he's going to be winning stages. And on this parkour, the GC winner is going to win stages because you've got these steep finishes and because of that, you don't have the capability of that time trial defining the whole ground tour. So... I believe that the winner of GC is going to win stage, is going to pick that same points classification as well, and therefore I have to pick Daniel Felipe Martinez for this one because it's just logical at how this points jersey classification is made, or do you think I'm wrong in that? No, I agree. I think it's going to be Primoz Roglic or a GC contender taking out the points classification. And yeah, my pick is uh, Primoz Roglic. I'll keep it pretty simple. He won it last year. It's just... I think it's close to impossible for the sprinters to win the points jersey at this year's Welter or the Welter generally. Just the placement of the intermediate sprints just make it so difficult. And I don't even think it's that prestigious for them either. Like, is Sam Bennett, after winning green in Tour de France, does he really care about the um, the points jersey at the Welter? It'd be nice, but I don't really, um, yeah, I don't really see him winning it. Um, Another jersey is the KOM jersey, and I'm going to go with Angel Madrazo. I think he won it last year. Uh, maybe he was a bit lucky. Maybe this is going to be too hard, but I don't think Jumbo Visma are going to control too much. They don't have the team, ne- neither with Ineos. So I think breakaway riders are going to get their fill of cleaning up KOM points in these stages. Maybe if Guillaume Martin loses a lot of time, he can go for the KOM jersey. I'm not sure how he's going to ride this year's Vuelta. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Angel Madrazo. He's proved he can do it before. And, yeah, I think that's that's who's going to win KOM. Again, Nas Patez as well is, is an option for that. He can climb okay. He might be getting in breakaways regularly. Um, so you can't count him out either. Maybe Davide Formula too because he can punch over the climbs to, to win that. But is he going to really want to care about KOM jersey when he's really just going for stage wins as well? I'm not, I don't think so. So Madrasa might pick, but this really is pretty much a lottery. Oh my god, I think Vlasov is going to come second or so in GC, or second or third. But if I have to pick a KOM jersey, I would go for the likes of... I don't want to pick Madraz or something again, just because they did something last year that didn't really work for Giro at Bouchard. So 
I'm not going to make that same mistake once again. If I have to pick someone for the KOM jersey, maybe an Ospites. That's who I would be looking at. And outside of him, I don't really see too many names that I would shout out as KOM favorites here. So, yeah, I think my, my pick for that one is going to stay the same. And it's going to be Nospitas taking KOM at the end of this Vuelta Espana. The Young Riders jersey favourites, uh, it doesn't include Sepp Kuss, by the way. He's 26. He's like one year younger than Julian Alaphilippe, so he's older than you think. He's not eligible for this. The favourites are Ivan Sosa, Danny Martinez, Alexander Vlasov, and, of course, Enric Mas, who we haven't really spoken about at this year's Vuelta. And I think Enric Mas could do pretty well. I think he's. Um, I think he could podium because he's, yeah, he's, won a stage in the Vuelta before in a hard stage, a short hard stage. He was looking really good at the end of the Tour de France, coming fifth there behind Mikel Landa. And we haven't really spoken about him for this in the entirety of this podcast. But I think Danny Martinez in flying form could win the Vuelta, but I think Mars is a surer pick for a podium and a surer pick for the young riders jersey. So Mars, the favourite, I think, for in the betting markets is my pick for the Young Riders jersey. Maybe Vlasov is going to make that pick look silly when he comes back in full form and destroys his mountain stages, but I have to go with Vlas. Oh, with Vlas? <laughs> I combined Vlasov and Mars. I'm getting tired. I have to go with Mars, given what we know now at the start of this year's welter. Do you think we've been unfair, Benji, not speaking enough about Enric Mars throughout pretty much the last two hours? Probably, but I don't care. <laughs> I feel like he grew a lot in the Tour de France, but I still feel like that podium he got at the Vuelta a few years back, he was lucky to not be marked on the major mountain stage towards the end of the Grand Tour and took like a solid margin because of that in one of the final stages and got on the podium because of that. I don't think he's going to repeat that here. Mas is not a bad climber, but he's not up there with the best for me. And after riding the Tour de France, I think he won't have the endurance to ride a perfect Vuelta Espana, and therefore I don't put him as a GC contender really for the podium. Perhaps top five, perhaps top ten, I'm not saying no to that. The issue is that I have to pick Felipe Martinez once again because I chose him for GC, so I kind of checkmated myself on all the classifications. (laughs) But if I have to pick a rider outside of Martinez, which is completely illogical because if I have him for GC, he's going to win youth as well, but I think Vlasov is going to be up there as well. I think Vlasov has the advantage of having only one time trial, 33 kilometers, and therefore I see him as a big candidate for podium. And I hope he does because we've been hyping him up for a whole year, so let's hope it's not for nothing. And yeah, I think Martinez will have to pick it because yeah, otherwise it's going to be pretty tough to win GC if you don't win you. So we've got there. This was our Vuelta España 2020 preview. I'm so stoked for the Welter. I always get more excited as I learn more about the race, doing these previews, talking to Benji. I hope it was informative and helpful for you. If you enjoyed the preview and the effort we went into with the YouTube video, with the profiles or the timestamps, etc., and it was of value to you, make sure to give us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the podcast a lot, particularly going to prospective sponsors, etc. Even talking to ASO, which I have been. Um, it's helpful in conversations like that, showing the level of support we have for the podcast so do that if you can even if you don't listen on apple or subscribe to the youtube channel for the podcast but i'm so geared up for this world i hope chris Froome launches like a 70k solo attack that would be the best thing ever however unlikely 
that is, it starts tomorrow. You've got to watch the first three days. are already pretty hard. And we're obviously going to be bringing our daily recaps out. Um, but I'll let Benji take you away because I'm running out of steam. Yes, a Grand Tour, 18 stages is usually not happening. But this year it is the case. 2020 has been a rather shady year when it comes to everything in our lives. And I think this is basically the last race of the season for us as a podcast, as well as I think the Vuelta is the last race of the season, right? Or is that wrong? I think it's right. Yes, it is. So what a calendar it has been. Plenty of amazing months. And we've gotten through this as a passion. And it's been growing and growing so much. And we're so incredibly thankful for, for that towards you guys. And towards each other as well, but because thanks LR for starting this trip with me. It's been pretty amazing. And I think this next 18-day Grand Tour is going to be pretty amazing as well. Let's hope we reach Madrid. Let's hope the weather doesn't kill Tourmalet. And let's hope we get a wonderful Grand Tour with plenty of action. And that's basically it for the Vuelta. So let's hope we get a wonderful race. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a wonderful preview, two hours and a bit. And I hope we see you in the first episode coming up quite soon on the channel after stage one. So if you don't know how this goes, we upload our recaps of the stage directly to stage, directly after the stage. So a good two hours, two and a half, two hours and a half after the stage, sometimes earlier, sometimes a tiny bit later, depending on who's editing the podcast. You're faster at it than I am, LR, but in general, that's how we roll. So thank you very much for listening. I hope we see you there. And Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.